Hello, Alex Zane here. Thank you for choosing to listen to Just The Facts. And while you can still enjoy these episodes forever, you might want to check out our brand new show, A Trip To The Movies, where each week a different famous film fan curates their perfect night out at the cinema, picking what snacks they'd eat, where they'd sit, who they'd go with, and of course, what movies they'd screen. If you love cinema as much as we do, search A Trip to the Movies with Alex Zane or head to our socials at Trip to Movies Pod. That's at Trip to Movies Pod to find out more. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello and welcome to episode eight of Just the Facts. Alex Zane here. How are you? Hello. Right. Uh, shall we get the housekeeping out of the way quickly now? Let's just do it. And then I can tell you about my wonderful guest on this episode, Rahul Kohli. Let's do this. So if you haven't subscribed to us yet, please do that now uh, on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your pods. Do it now. This second. Right now. And also follow us on Twitter and Instagram, where we are at JTFpod. Uh, also, also, as always, if you'd like to watch this interview, rather than just listen to it, or potentially do both, you can watch it on our YouTube channel. It'll be out a few days after this pod drops, and if you do decide to watch the video, you will be able to gaze upon some of Raul Coley's vast Star Wars memorabilia collection, because it's in shot behind him and in case you didn't know he's a massive star wars fan like massive massive i mean like i love star wars one of my favorite ever christmases in the 80s like 85 86 like as a kid was opening my presents to find out santa had pretty much just got me star wars toys including a few which i still have in my flat now a snow speeder a scout walker and my pride and joy an atat which still has the light-up guns at the front. Big deal for me getting that at Christmas as a kid, because as a kid, hands down, my favourite scene in any of the Star Wars films, so the original trilogy, um, was the Battle of Hoth. Battle of Hoth, I just loved it. I just, I still love it. 
It's amazing. So yeah. Anyway, I've got an Atta. That doesn't matter though, because Rahul is a next level Star Wars fan. We talk about how he probably wouldn't even have gotten into acting were it not for Star Wars. Uh, so there's a lot of Star Wars chat on this episode. His affection for the prequels, his thoughts on the recent movies. We also talked about his role as Owen in The Haunting of Bly Manor. Love that series. Uh, he tells us about working with Mike Flanagan on both that and the new series that they've done together, Midnight Mass, which is coming out on Netflix sometime later this year. I don't know when. The release date hasn't been announced yet, but he's pretty excited about it. Uh, he said the script is one of the best things he's ever read. That's all the convincing I needed. I mean, I'm a huge Mike Flanagan fan anyway. Oculus, Gerald's Game, The Haunting of Hill House, Doctor Sleep, an incredible filmmaker. So we got into that. We also talked about how he almost quit acting before he landed the part of Ravi in I, Zombie and how that totally changed his life. We talked a lot. This is a big old chat this week. It's a big old chat, and it was an absolute pleasure spending a couple of hours in his company. I think you'll feel the same. So let's do this. Please welcome to Just The Facts, the brilliant Raul Coley. Hey, so um, uh, good morning. 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 Yeah. How are you? I'm good. It's like five, six hours before I usually wake up. It's the, I'm on a terrible sleep schedule right now. That's, that's unhealthy. Why? I, it's whenever I'm like, not on a show like I just got back from Vancouver and it's it's like I'm very disciplined when I'm working and I, I get up at the right times I go to bed early and as soon as it's like okay you're done with the job everything goes to hell like <laughs> hygiene <laughs> diet sleep <laughs> the way I can just drop everything in every discipline it's scary but um yeah so it was but it's nice to be up and and, and see this time of day well, well, welcome to uh, welcome to evening in London, morning in Los Angeles. Are you enjoying being back though? Because you've been away for a while. I think you've only just got back, haven't you? I it's 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 been a bit back and forth. Um, uh, this year, I've actually been home a little bit more, but um, I was doing a show called Midnight Mass with Mike Flanagan. Uh, um, we started that. Oh, uh, actual filming was from about. August to Christmas. Um, but because of the pandemic, we got hit a day before filming. So oh, shit. Yeah. So and I was on Bly before that. Um <clears throat> and so as I was filming Bly, which was again in Vancouver, um, somewhere around the first few days of working with Mike, he kind of started like looking me up and down and sizing me up and <laughs> asking me questions that I knew didn't relate to, to Owen or the character. And I was like, what's this about? And then a couple of months later we had a meeting and he, he pitched me midnight mass and was like, this is going to be what, almost three weeks after you wrap Bly. So it's going to be a real fast turnaround. Wait, between, um, between Bly and midnight mass, you were going to have three weeks off. Yeah. yeah. So three weeks to get into the, to leave Owen behind and yeah. get into and, the new character. And get into the new character. Yeah. And that seems unusual. As, I mean, it was, it was because Mike was so on Bly. So Hill House uh, was, every episode was directed by Mike. Mm. And I think it nearly killed him. Uh, <laughs> and he talks about the, particularly the episode where um, it was five scenes five like 
those those oneers he was doing. Um, after that, I think then Mike went and did Doctor Sleep, yeah. um, which was yeah, which was incredible, and uh, yeah, I absolutely adored that movie. But um, he then, when Bly came around, was like, "I'm a show run." And we're gonna. I'm gonna pick my list of like top indie filmmakers and give them an opportunity to do an episode each. So he does the pilot to set the tone, and then Mike yeah. went into production of Midnight Mass. So for him, it was like an easy turnaround, and and there wasn't a huge crossover of cast between Blind Manor and Midnight Mass. So there was only one or two of us, I think, who who had the three week prep. But I already knew about the role somewhere around about November. So I was kind of, my, my I had already, this isn't great to admit, I'd already mentally checked out of Bly. Um, <laughs> and I was already concentrating on mass. But um, but yeah, and I had like, I think I can talk about it now at the time. Um, I lost a ton of weight for Owen, um, which was a, a a choice I had made because I felt, it all kind of worked out. What I wanted was um, because he's caring for his mother, I felt that he'd have very little time for himself. Mm. So he'd probably be eating a pot noodle, if that, <laughs> even though he's a chef, you know. Um, so I wanted to be quite slim. And then I also once, because we were shooting uh, episodes in order, as soon as his mother died, I wanted him to look like he was eating a bit more and having a bit more time for himself. So there was a slight weight gain. Uh, but then when I spoke to Mike about mass, we spoke about a big weight gain, not muscle, a big weight gain. And as soon as I wrapped Bly or I was getting to the end of Bly, you can almost see it. I put on about 30 pounds of fat and, and I did it the dirty way. I didn't do it. Like there was no nutritionist. It was like method acting for well, idiots. What were you eating? What was it was like, McDonald's, man. It was, it, there would be like a DoorDash <laughs> order at four in the morning and it'd be like a McFlurry and a double cheeseburger. And like, it was, it was awful. And I, I started having health issues, no shit. And, um, really? That's... <laughs> right. It's crazy. If you eat McDonald's three times a day, it, it, uh, it definitely had takes its toll. I started having like, I'd wake up in the middle of the night and like be choking on my own stomach acids. Oh my God. Yeah. And I was like, oh. <laughs> so I was carrying around all this extra weight. And, and then um, we get to like the table read of midnight mass, which is in Vancouver and we're there and I'm heavy. And um, uh, like we were going to shoot. So I think the, the table read was a Thursday and then we were starting production first scene on Monday and that Friday was March 13, which was when, when we woke mm. up, I had the, the, the emails and the calls and the voicemails, <clears throat> which was like, Hey, we're going to shut production down for two weeks, uh, because of COVID-19. Um, and some people opted to stay. Some people I, I had, I don't know, my, my spider sense was like, no, I get out of town quick. Um, so within a few hours, I managed to get on a plane and get to Los Angeles and then we didn't start production until August. Um, but we were always kind of like, we were one of the first shows ever to go up. So it was this huge thing where Netflix and SAG and everyone were trying to like, and the Canadian government had to create the guidelines that were possible. Uh, and we were going to be almost the guinea pigs for that. Um, so the version of the uh, pandemic shoot that we did was very extreme. Like, 
super sanitized. Like the things that are now myths about COVID, like we yeah. were in the thick of it, like, you know, don't blink near someone or, you know, it was, <laughs> it was intense. But, um, during that period, there was like three, three months down, three to four months down. I couldn't hold on to the, to the weight because I was always told we're only a few weeks away from production. We got a few more weeks, maybe a few more weeks. And that went on for three months. So, so well, you lost it again then. Well, or- I, I asked, I couldn't do it, man. I, my, I just couldn't keep that up. <laughs> and, and so I texted Mike and I was like, Hey, can we, can we rethink this? And he obviously he was game. He probably didn't even want me to put on weight in the first place. He, he's just a very supportive person. And, and I was like, can I, can I be trim? So I had to re-lose it and then put on muscle. So this is like this is like method acting for dummies. So no one <laughs> saw the weight gain. It didn't play into the character. I ended up just going back to something a little bit more fit. So it was a, a, a big journey, but it was worth it in the end. Wow. Yeah. Well, I mean, That's an intro, right? <laughs> it sounds incredibly unhealthy, but, yeah. you know, for the cause, man, for the cause, because Midnight Mass, I mean, you know, you mentioned a lot of them there. I'm a, I'm a huge Mike Flanagan fan. Mm. I mean, like, you know, right back to like Oculus, um, Gerald's Game, like Gerald's what, one, game, of those, yeah. one of those Stephen King adaptations that's arguably better than the book it's based on. Um, and then Haunting of Hill House and, and Blind Manor. I mean, look, it's weird. And I'm not just saying this, but when I think mm. back to like, my experience of watching Blind Manor, like I always do think back to Owen, your character, because I really do think he was the, he was the heart of that show he was um a really interesting person in so much as he was both steadfast and incredibly vulnerable at the same time and how much of that was on the page how much did you bring to that when you read it was it all there already honestly it was all there it was it, it was a really strange job for me man um i I stuck to the assignment uh, in a way that I don't think I've ever done before. Um, prior, it was, <clears throat> you know, prior to Blind Manor, my first show that gave me my sort of big break and got me out of, you know, the situation I was in and over in Los Angeles was I Zombie for the CW. And that character was very much like a, um, a Sheldon Cooper type where I definitely didn't stick to the assignment. I was improving and kind of upstaging and trying to, I was new. I had a point to prove and, you know, I was supposed to be a supporting character and I never really took that role (laughs) seriously. It was like, look at me, look at all the funny things I can do. Oh, Ricky Gervais impression. And, um, after five years of that and kind of feeling a little bit, uh, selfish and I don't know, I, I, I just didn't, I appreciated the the show and I'm still very proud of the work we did, but you reflect, right? And you're like, well, what can I do better? And when Bly came along, I auditioned for that. That wasn't like a, I wasn't specifically asked or offered that. Um, so I just, I just auditioned, played a little, a very vague sweet boy. Cause you don't really get much info when you do the auditions. Um, and then when I had my first meeting with Mike, he kind of asked me what I'd like to bring to it. And I kind of said to him, actually tell me what to do. Um, <clears throat> I, I already kind of understood from the page that 
his scenes or scenes that involved him were the lightest of the show. Um, and we had already discussed that with most homes, the kitchen is the heart of the house, right? That's where mm-hmm. usually a lot of the, yeah, that's the yeah. safe when you, place. Of course, when you're growing yeah. up, like all my memories come from family meal times. And exactly, so right? And, and it's the first place you kind of, like you come home from school, you throw your bag down, you get in the kitchen, you grab something, you know what I mean? And you might mm-hmm. pass your siblings or you, whatever. So, um, and then I also did the reverse of iZombie. So I went, this show isn't about you or your little scenes or your little <laughs> jokes or your little looks in the background. So just be the best supporting character you can possibly be, be the best supporting actor and be the best character for that. So be open, be welcoming, play scenes with the, with simplicity and it um, just be there for everyone else. Just like, what the kitchen should be, what the chef should be, just feed mm-hmm. everyone and be there for them and listen to them. So I just stuck to that assignment really. Um, and it wasn't rewarding, you know, as a, as a job, it wasn't rewarding. It's not like I walked off set every day, high-fiving and everyone was like, dude, you nailed that. Because you weren't, because you were just doing what was asked of you as opposed to yeah. like doing something spontaneous and in the moment, something that, I mean, you, I mean, cause I, I guess with improv, there is that thing like where you, you have come up with something off your own back and it exists mm. in that, that flash of a moment when it works, it's all yours. You created it. You were like, mm-hmm. I just dropped that into a scene and that's going to be the standout moment of the scene. Yeah. It's well, in terms of improv, I didn't, again, I, <laughs> there I was mean, flexibility to do so. I didn't. I was just very kind of, it's, it's a really strange thing to say. It's like, um, I just did my job and, uh, kept things simple and, you know, any scene was just about the bigger picture rather than looking Mm -hmm. inward, which is, I spent five years looking inward on iZombie. So I kind of wanted to take a step back, mature and go, okay, you don't need to prove to everyone that you need to be here anymore and, 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 you know, do backflips. There's, there's a version of that with acting. Do you know what I mean? It's like yeah, a footballer yeah, I, almost doing too many skills. Yeah. Just play the game, you know? Yeah. And I guess, I, I mean, I can, it's weird that you sort of say there was the opportunity to improv. I mean, on, uh, on Bly, because to my mind, improving is sort of, not fucking around, but just mm. sort of being bigger than perhaps uh, e- e- the scene requires, I guess in iZombie, it's based on a comic book. And, yeah. and so it, it is, so it's a high energy, mm-hmm. you know, there's a, there's a lot going on. It's like snappy cuts here, cuts there. So that feels like it lends itself to Absolutely. improv. Yeah. If, it, I guess your castmates are like definitely improv in this, as opposed to going, what are you doing? Well, improv like, wasn't allowed on iZombie. Oh really? Yeah. <laughs> Rob Thomas. Uh, is damn if any actor out there wants to like get the best kind of like training outside of drama school work for Rob Thomas uh, you pick up so many good habits and he he asks questions of you man that like just cut right through you in in the most kind of like sweet way but um, now nah, Rob's <laughs> like I'm funnier the the writers wrote this I don't need your alt lines. That's the line on the page, make it work. And that's a skill in itself. So for five years, for most of us, now, if, if any of my iZombie co-stars saw this interview, they'd be like, he's lying because he, he fucked around and said what he won all the time. I did have this tiny leeway that the other kids 
didn't have, mum and dad gave me a tiny bit more leeway. And I think it was because I was British. So a lot of the times I would look at the script and say, ah, I need to rejig this. We don't say trash can. Can I say this? Can I do that? So there was, that's where we started. And then because he was the kind of comedic relief, sometimes there is an alt or something there that in the moment might actually be funnier. So, so I did have this tiny leeway that no one else had, but for the most part, we, <clears throat> we almost entirely stuck to the script. Um, I remember I wanted to make a change once and <clears throat> it was something so superficial, man. It was just like something someone does in season three when they're like, Hey, I want to limp, you know, mm. it was just like one of those things. And I sent a message to Rob and I got this email back that was like, Hey, um, I'm not fussed either way. If you want to do this for season three. Uh, however, um, I don't care, but if, if I did care, care, here's my problem. And it was like two pages <laughs> of basically saying, does this serve the character or does it serve role? Are you, is this really hand on your heart? Something that you want that's going to, um, move it forward, that's going to round it out, that's going to do something? Or is it just because Rahul's bored and he wants to play a tough guy or he wants to do this? And again, this is like my first show ever. And it was a sweet email, but I was just like, fuck. It was, it was completely superficial, man. It was totally, wow. it was total vanity. So by the time I got to Mike, mm. it's almost like he got this, this kid who you know, had really strict parents and and, was, and he's like, Hey man, this is a sandbox. Like, what do you want to do with the character? How do you see it? And I'm like, anything you want, sir. Um, and that kind of worked. Um, the, the only thing that I did contribute was, and it was a tiny bit of a fight was the mustache. That's what I did bring to Bly. Okay. Yeah. So that was, that was, that's all you then. That's a hundred percent. I can take credit for that and know that I won't, they won't get upset with me. They, they wanted, I think Mike was really happy with the beard that I had. And I, I was like, Hey, um, I looked at some pictures of my dad and his brothers in 1987, 1985, everyone yeah. was rocking the Tom Selleck. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I, um, I asked for that and there was a, that Mike was on board. There were like, my other producers were a bit like, Ugh, I hate mustaches. Um, were they worried that? Because it's a kind of iconic look that we don't, I mean, obviously it's a period piece. Were they worried that mm. it was going to get, it was going to steal the scene? That people were going to be like. Honestly, yeah. 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 Really? It's, it's, <laughs> yeah, it really, because it, 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 it was, it's a little bit, it, when you do period stuff, there's, um, I mean, you can, obviously you can fully commit, right? But there's still an element of the, you are watching it in the modern day hmm. and some things are ridiculous. And like, say you had a, a protagonist who was this, I don't know, macho police officer, detective guy. Um, and you decide to stick to the times and he does have a mullet or he's got, do you know what I mean? Something that was appropriate at the time that we, we would view then as cool. Oh, it's like watching, you know, Michael Jackson's bad video. Mm. None of those dudes look bad. <laughs> I don't know if that, and I'm assuming they did look rough. I, I don't know if they did. I don't think they look, <laughs> I don't remember being a kid seeing bad and going, geez, those guys are scary. Okay. What about Terminator? The first punks that, that come up to him, like, yeah, Bill Paxton's one of those. Bill pa isn't he? Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. That's and not intimidating by today's standards, right? Yeah. All right. That's, that's, a, that's a good one. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he's got a knife. That's pretty scary. But of course, uh, like Justin is in terms of his fashion sense, 
No, no. But right. I mean, it's difficult to gauge because they're standing opposite a naked Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, the, the sort of... The, the, I don't know how you look scary when you're faced with that. That is the scariest. That's one of the scariest sights I can imagine you could ever see in 1984. Absolutely. Like a, a, a top of his game Arnie with like his schlong out, like standing in front of you. And he's Austrian. He's not even, and he's in America, right? Yeah. So it's just weird, naked, foreign dude. <laughs> Um, but you know, you know what I mean though? Like, that was, yeah, that was going to be the other, the other title, I think. Yeah. Weird naked foreign dude. Yeah. This works for this video. I'll take the top off. That could be our title. Um, but, but yeah, like there's, it, it, there is this kind of this, this, this line to toe where period, like, like you said, and I think the mustache, it just, I just remember it being a conversation. And because again, I'm, I'm very, I, I don't really like to fight for stuff too often mm. unless if it's if it's something i genuinely believe in then i'm down for it but for the most part if i get any resistance or net you know what i mean i'm immediately like cool we'll lose it and i've just that's something i've picked up so if it's like hey i want to do this and they're like ah nine times out of ten i've dropped it before they've even reached their conclusion um mm. the mustache kind of stuck for a bit and 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 it it did finally make it and then I had this thick fucking thing <laughs> and I don't watch dailies. I don't I stay away from video village. It's my because, own. It's, because it might put you off. Yeah. And I think it's, for me, it's, it's, it, there's an element of trust. I like to, to give directors um, that for me, again, this doesn't speak ill of anyone else. There are some technicians out there and I've worked with them who, who go to the monitors and double check stuff. Mm. and really kind of craft and go, let me go back. Let me go back. I can, when you say technicians, you mean actors who are, uh, who are quite obsessive with the sort of technical side absolutely. of their performance. Absolutely. Right. absolutely. Right, right, right. Yeah. They, 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 there's so many different, you meet so many different types of, of actor and no one's method is the same. Um, so for me, one of the things that I've tried to, um, adhere to is this idea that you are the director, right? Um, we move on when you're happy. Hmm. I'm here to trust your, you are, you are flying the ship, man. I'm a passenger. Um, if you say it's good, it's good because I've, I've been there where man, like, how do you gauge what's good? How, how do you, as an actor, how do you gauge that you were good in the scene? Cause <clears throat> I've seen stuff where, there are days where you you are high fiving each other, where you mm. walk away as as actors, and you're like, oh, oh my god, we mm. felt that. Like I, I was, I felt physically sick, or I was moved to tears, or or you could feel the energy in the room and the crew feel it, and everyone just feels like they did a solid day's work. And then you watch the scene, and it's so fucking meh. But how how can that happen? If it, I mean, I get it on an individual level. Like for example, mm. if you sort of if you think to yourself. I've, I've, I absolutely nailed that scene. Mm -hmm. I've never been better. And you watch it back and you might have done, but if the other people, the, uh, your co-stars weren't uh, up to scratch in that scene, it wasn't a good one for them, then sure, the whole scene, I, I, I'd probably watch it and go, meh, that didn't work. But if you all, if all of the actors on set are going, we, we all nailed that, yeah. how, can, how can it then not, uh, how can it then <laughs> not actually work out? Because at the end of the day, like, <laughs> I, I mean, they're, they're, they're obviously big 
entertaining flashbang wallop kind of scenes. Mm. But there are even just scenes where it could be like a meet cute, right? And you both feel it, like you feel it, you're, you're running your lines and there's a mm. chemistry and there's an energy to it. And you both feel like it was a great scene and you watch it after it's gone through the process and it's in context of the rest of the episode or the film. There are so many other layers that happen by the time it arrives, you really might just have enjoyed the process of shooting the scene. That doesn't necessarily mean that the right. scene itself benefited from any of that extra stuff that was there on the day, that tangible stuff. And when you finally arrived to that scene, you're like, oh, mm. yeah. It looked just as good or it felt just as, everything else just felt like it, it wasn't this standout moment in the, in, in the episode. So it's, right. and I've had the opposite where you've, you've had days man, where you want to quit and you're like, I felt nothing. My monologue on Bly Manor felt fuck all, nothing, wow. <laughs> two takes. And it was like the least, it was, it was just because of the way we were shooting that. And we were really outside. That was in the studio. So we were, you know, we had light and we, we had a long day to, we had a long night to get a lot done on that, around that bonfire. I remember the monologue was like two takes. Um, you only did two. I've, I, did you want to do another take after that? Or were you like, we moved on, on the first take and I said, stop. I was like, let's, let me let, let's have one for safety because mm-hmm. the director at the time felt that they were really happy with the, with the monologue as it was. Um, and I was like, I would like a, that was me just covering everyone. I was just like, let's get one more. I'm down for mm-hmm. one more. But that scene was like, which did they it, use? I have no idea. Oh, you couldn't tell. No, nah, I'm no. so detached and there's so much time passes. I'm like, eh, uh, like yeah. I, I barely can remember. I can, I'll only remember stuff if there's like some sort of improv flair or I added something that was off the page, then it, you know, but I usually, I, uh, my stuff usually looks like the, the same from take to take to take bar a few differences. So I, yeah, once it's in rehearsal and we've blocked in, they like it. I tend to kind of just improve what we've already done rather than here's a complete alt take. That's wacky. I, I don't really do that. But, um, but yeah, like that, that, that one was, I didn't feel anything like it was just work, you know, and, and this is the monologue I prepared. There you go. Finished. And then we moved on. No one made a big deal. We just were like, right now we've got to do this one. And uh, then when the show came out and uh, you start seeing press and I'd see, you know, a little mention of the monologue or this or that. And you were Mm. like, huh, isn't that weird? But there are other scenes that were like on the day we were like, whoa, (laughs) mate, no one cared. So it's, so it's one of those things like you, like, so when going back to why I don't watch dailies or sit in video village, I I can't be objective. And I don't know what I do with that information. Like I didn't feel anything, but it looks great. I felt something, but it didn't look great. I don't know. So it's, it's best for me that I just sort of like, I hitch my wagon to my director and I don't second guess them. There's also a, the, one of the most important people on a shoot uh, is the editor. Um, and as I've gone on, I've realized just how much they, <laughs> they save us. Um <laughs> <laughs> so there's no point even getting into that. The amount of genius behind an editor and what they can do and how they can save your ass. And uh, there's so much out there. Um, so there's this like idea of like, who am I to sit there and go, no, 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 no. Let's do another. 
um, yeah. I, I, you know. I guess it's true. I, I mean, it, it must be nice though to have built up that trust, like with Mike. I mean, I guess I guess you'd seen his previous work before Blind yeah. Manor, and so you were like, this guy knows what he's doing, and then you meet him, you create the character together, you talk it through, and you build up that trust. And I think it's amazing what a talented man he is. And such a bloody nice guy as well. I I met him for Doctor Sleep. I did, I did the oh, Q and A for that when they um when they uh God I don't know when when was it now COVID's totally screwed up my this would have been twenty I think he was doing press for it twenty nineteen twenty nineteen so it's the end yeah. of twenty nineteen yeah autumn yeah yeah it's it must be cool I mean you're a bit younger than me but like I'd say we have a lot of the similar. Uh, pop culture reference points and talking to Mike, he has exactly the same ones. Does. And to work with someone who you can have a, have a shorthand in terms of pop culture references yeah. must be quite good. Yeah, that's that for sure. I, uh, without giving too much away without that, I'll be able to talk about it when mass comes out. Um, mm. But I got to experience that where, when we were talking about the character and character design, I got to send something from a video game mm. as a reference. And Mike was like, fuck yeah, I love <laughs> that game. That's what I want. And, you know, like that was an awesome, I was like, okay, we're on the same page. And I don't have to mm. like, like, you know, I don't have to just look at films from, I don't know, seventies or whatever, even though, you know, I grew up watching movies from the sixties and seventies, but yeah, like it's, he's, he's a savant where it comes to film and it's fascinating. I think even recently I, I I was interviewing him for this um, Netflix Geeked Week and Mike graciously came in to, to sit on a couch while we played Resident Evil. And I just mentioned Jaws mm. and he broke down the jump scare of the, you know, the the, the boat when they're scuba diving and then the, the yeah. head pops through. And oh, the ben, ben Gunn's head, yeah, that's yeah, it, yeah, Ben Gunn's yeah. head, yeah. And he just broke down something so small where he was like, "Ah, well, you know the the noise, the sting, whatever they play that jumps mm -hmm. you, is delayed. It's head first, then sting. Whereas a lot of movies will go sting and head at the same time, so you jump, so you 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 all get it at once." And he was like, "What happens with that? Why that's so terrifying? And you can never really prepare, is mm -hmm. because." you see the image first, you react, and then there's a sound on top of it. So it's like a bang, bang, like... Because so you've been trained. You've been trained by every jump scare you've ever seen to expect a certain thing, and yeah. you can't undo that training. And exactly. so that's interesting. I mean, I, I do, I remember that, that that was the scene in Jaws that Spielberg uh, went and reshot in his swimming pool because he didn't believe he got it right the first time. And no no, I don't know if it was his swimming pool or uh, was it Werner Fields, his editor's swimming pool? But yeah, yeah, he watched it back um, with an audience and he was like, oh, we can get a bigger reaction out of that. So they went yeah. off and they reshot um, the head popping out scene. So oh, that's, no why, that's why it's so good. Yeah. It's, it's funny that that's because uh, Jaws, I couldn't really watch Jaws. Uh, I, I found that I'm not a horror fan. You're at not. All. Hate it. Can't stand were you, it. Were you ever a horror fan? Like when you were a kid? No, couldn't stand Never. it. Uh -uh. So and wait, now I'm so, like, now I'm one of yeah. Flanagan's dudes. It's the strangest <laughs> right, thing. The, like Flanagan's players. Yeah. Um, so wait, you were going to say you watched Jaws and uh, or you oh, didn't watch Jaws? I couldn't. That terrified me. I remember like cousin showing it to me, and it like it screwed me up for a very long time. Yeah. I was like, nope, that intro. Mm. 
nope. And, you know, I'm already scared of my own shadow, especially as a kid. I was so scared of everything. I was terrified. And, um, and I guess I never really confronted it. I just let it be. So now, like when I had to watch Hill House, because I've stayed away from that genre for so long because of just like awful experiences and being terrified, I've never right. kind of built the calluses. Are you about to tell me like your, your, your introduction to horror was Hill House because I watch a shit ton of horror and Hill House is fucking terrifying. So that is, that is possibly, it's, that Hill House gets under your skin because Mike, yeah. Mike Flanagan has this, this wonderful gift and it's a, it's a trope that you see a lot in horror, uh, but you don't often see it done as well as he does it, which is where you're just a little bit unsure of if you've seen something in the back of shop. And sure. it, yeah, it's, yeah. it's that that creeps me out. So what, was, so what happened then? You watched Hill House and how, how, how were you? It was fucking terrifying. Like, <laughs> I, there was, it, it, it became a problem for the job. Like I can do, I love thrillers. I love true crime. Like when I, when I was, uh, researching Ravi for iZombie. Dude, I went crazy. I was looking, I was watching real autopsies and I was seeing case files and watching like people video, like exhuming coffins and seeing decomposed bodies at different stages. And then I went to a real morgue. Warner Brothers had arranged it, it, it when I had asked. Uh, so a couple of us decided to like, took them up on their offer and we went to a real morgue and we spent three hours there. And, you know, I looked at real bodies and could smell them and see I was a few feet away. I, and, I imagine that is something you have to ask for. I don't think Warner Brothers, I think they might get into trouble if they go. No, all CW, shows, <laughs> all CW shows send you to a morgue if you're doing Riverdale <laughs> or The Flash. They, 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 that's part of their, their introductory <laughs> package. But, um, but yeah, no, I, I, I wanted to do it. Because it was, you don't get access to that. You know, there are so many things that you can, um, you don't need to research everything. Like if you, if you're a killer, yeah, chill. You don't need to, you know, the, there is an element of acting mm. and, and uh, but, but, but again, like you can understand, you know, I'm surprised, you know, Robert De Niro learned, you know, got a taxi driver's license and drove around in a cab for X amount of days. Who knows what that did? Could he have not done it and just maybe drove himself around New York? Who knows, right? It's up to the individual, but a morgue is so terrifying. And I think there's so much um, conjecture and fear that we have associated with that place and, and, and with autopsy. Um, and that in our show, the kitchen of the Bly house is the morgue in iZombie. That's where a lot of the comedy comes from. That's the safe place of the show. So spending three hours looking at a real one, by the time we went into our prop one, we were so comfortable. We were so just say, chilling. Like That must be it because he's so flippant about working mm-hmm. in a morgue right from mm-hmm. the off in iZombie. I mean, I, I know that. I, I feel like I'm faking a bit here because I hadn't watched it until um, I knew we were talking. So hmm. I binged it. Absolutely love it. I love a, pl- a police procedural with a twist. Um, oh yeah, and uh, yeah, I'm about halfway through season one in about two days. So oh nice, it's great I mean, fun. It's really it's, good yeah, fun. It's fun. Yeah, it's fun. It's like, do you remember um, <clears throat> what was the Nathan Fillion one where he was the crime writer who joined the police Castle? or Castle? No. Yeah, yeah, Castle. Yeah. It's a bit. I, I love something like that. I think it's <laughs> it's it's really easy to just like lose yourself to it for six hours at a time. Yeah, I mean, firstly, 
if I got upset with with people who hadn't seen iZombie, I'd I'd walk around very upset all the time. Like no one fucking watched that show. Hey, and, I, listen, I was just trying to be transparent. I didn't want no, to. I appreciate going, that. No, no, no. I didn't I want totally... you to walk away going, "Wow, I, I, Alex, Alex Zane Zombie, is a yeah. big iZombie fan. Let's send him some merch." No, I, I mean, I knew we knew that. Like, uh, there was it was very obvious to us at the time that you know numbers wise, I think we did really well with our first couple of seasons, but they dwindled. Um, it was a, it was a, a very niche kind of cult following and it's grown a bit more. It's starting to have that. And, and I think Rob predicted that. I mean, I don't know if it was Bly or, or some of the projects that some of my co-stars have done, but I I'm seeing this influx of people and, and the pandemic probably helped, but, uh, it's definitely found new fans, but, um, and it must have been a game changer for, for you in terms of your career. Like, can you, do you think like, the kind of roles because you kind of it, like after i zombie it was bly uh for yeah. you and uh, same year so, yeah so do you do you think i zombie changed things for you oh dude i zombie saved my life um i so i went to drama school but i went to an amateur drama school um shout out to the questers theater in ealing um but that's that's where like i i saw star wars as a kid i was like, like I want to be in Star Wars. What the fuck do I do? And <laughs> that's it, right? And I was I was eleven or twelve, and I it just became my obsession. And, and I didn't know you liked Star Wars. You like <laughs> a tiny bit. Just I'm like it's you know it's on my IMDb trivia. Um, but uh, but yeah, like I didn't know how or what where my role would be in Star Wars. I just knew that I needed to be a part of it. And initially, it was going to be um, special effects. So. I got into production and so I was going to like um, this college that was terrible that said they did this media production course and within about three weeks I lost faith in them and I was like, oh fuck, this is awful. Um, but I was making short film for the, for, the, for the assignments and in that I ended up being in one of my short films and I was like, oh, well, you're better at this and you have more fun with this. So I dropped out of that joined that theater school. Hmm. Uh, so I got out at, I was 20, 20, 20 years old, 21 years old, and then nothing until I zombie. And in that period, I was auditioning a lot uh, in London um, and those same fucking sterile rooms just, and it was like three, four times a week. Uh, if it was a commercial, I was DiCaprio. I think other people were afraid of me. So I was like the Enviraphone dude and Champions League and Subway <laughs> and PlayStation and fucking, or, I don't know, Rubicon Mango Juice. Here um, he comes. We might as well leave. Yeah, He's, exactly. Uh, I don't know him. what that was about. I was on fire when it came to, to that. Give me, you know, uh, a BBC drama, nothing. Mm. And so it took me uh, until I was about 26. It took me about five years of solidly auditioning um, to get a line. And even then I think it was cut. It was on a Channel 4 drama and it was cut. And then eventually I got Holby C. Hmm. And I was like, I'm fucking speaking on camera. <laughs> um, and that was like a big celebration. And then it was EastEnders again, like three lines. I was the manager of the chicken shop and I fired Shirley. Um, that was my career. And I, you know, now I'm 27 and it's, it's like, what are you doing? <laughs> Do you, like, yeah. you're not, this isn't the, 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 the game changer you thought it would be. And I got very close to quitting, man. I was, 
super like I was disenfranchised and felt that I don't want to do this for another few years. Um, I'm going to die. Like I cannot afford to do any, this is killing me and it's killing my future. Um, and I, I remember having a conversation with my then agent after a really bad audition where I think I was, I was just treated extra mean that day. I was, I was already part of the cattle call, but that one felt like even, even more kind of gross. Mean like as in just not given the time of day or actually spoken to like badly. Both. both. It was, it was a bit of both and it's super common, man. Like one day I'm going to play one of these guys that, you know, has a budget for some fucking crappy BBC show and (laughs) thinks that they're James Cameron. Mm. And they're so dismissive and just so, uh, and they feel like the it's minute weird. you walk in, you feel like yeah. you, they, they, you, they already have the attitude of you've wasted my time mm-hmm. and we haven't even done the scene yet. That's the energy of the room. Isn't it, isn't it weird? Like I, I've met people like that in the industry, like mm. who, who somehow feel that they have to pl- that like their small bit, the small bit of power they've been granted allows them to live out this fantasy of, of being this big shot, like, mm-hmm. and, and acting like, you know, like they've got three Oscars in a cabinet at home. And you, you, you just sort of go, well, that's just why? It's always yeah. puzzled me. You sort of end up just going, why, why? What, what is the point? Who is gaining from this? Like, I, I mean, what, what, how fragile is your ego? And why, why do you feel the need to just like, be that person. I've never understood it. It's it's usually, you, I mean, you nailed it, man. It's because they haven't got three Oscars and the mm. little bit of power kind of, it's so even I've met badly behaved actors and they're usually the ones who aren't really doing shit. And yeah, you're like, they'll come in on yeah. your show as a guest and you're like, yo, why the fuck are you talking to our crew like that? <laughs> like, and then you'll get, giants like you'll meet giants and mm. carla gugino for instance mm. right it's yeah. carla gugino uh, uh like i saw her and i was like uh sin city watchman like and also she was one of my first crushes from the bon jovi video <laughs> she is the nicest human in the world there's a reason why she works so often there's a reason why she's in gunpowder milkshake and stuff like and she still continues to to work with with the biggest and the best it's because she's fucking great and she's great to work with she doesn't have, like there's nothing then you meet someone who you know has been a guest on a few things maybe had a bit of this or maybe a few years ago was in a procedural asshole yeah and you're like huh it's because they don't have that success. So it's like they use this as a way of this little power to kind of bully a set around or, mm. or puff their chest out. I think, uh, yeah, I think it's, uh, it's, there's also that thing where I, I think sometimes, I don't know whether it's them or their PRs or someone's got it wrong somewhere down the line and they think <laughs> to make themselves seem like a big star mm. or bigger than potentially they are, they have to act like a diva. Uh, you know, I've encountered it and it's, uh, yeah, you're right. You sort of, unfortunately, you do catalogue that. And it's very, you know, you meet people so sporadically that you end up going, well, that is what I think of them. Yeah, until absolutely. I, and, uh, even when I meet them again. But, but the, uh, go on. Oh, sorry. Yeah, no, I was going to say, the energy that those, those, those people would give off for, like, the crappiest commercial, just like, <laughs> you know, it, it, 
it, it, it, it got to me. And then like, it was a Friday and I called, I, remember I called my agent. I was like, I don't want to fucking do this anymore. I was like close to tears. It's just, you, that's how you spend your week. Mm. And, and, um, and they, they said to me, uh, all right, cool. Um, we have an audition for you. Yeah. Was, <laughs> all right, mate. Um, and <laughs> and so I, you know, it must be a weird thing because you have this relationship with an agent and, you know, you do sort of want a little bit of a, a bit of a hug. They know you're coming back on Monday. <laughs> yeah. They know you're in it now. This is X Factor. They know this is your dreams. And, you know, like, they just want, I just want to vent and them to, I want them to beg me to stay on yeah. their books. That's and all. You just, you just want to live through like a, a little montage moment with maybe Sigur Ross playing in the background and just yeah, like... exactly. Just, yeah. So... That that conversation ended up just them going, uh, we got a pilot for you called iZombie uh, for Monday morning. Uh, and I was like, okay, sounds terrible. The fuck's an iZombie? <laughs> and then um, crammed that weekend just out of pure frustration. And then on the Monday, I went in and read for it. And I remember the cast director sat back and was like, how long have you been acting? And, and I was like, I don't know, I think eight years, nine years now. And she was like, how come you've never where, where have you been? And I was like, I knew it. Yeah. Where have I been? Why, why is it taking me this long to get like a speak? I can act. I like, I'm, I'm okay at what I do. You know, I'm not great, but you know, I'm, I'm learning. And dude, within a week, they had cast me as one of the leads. Uh, wow. Rob Thomas saw the tape and just was like, it bypassed all um, screen tests, network tests, network approval. Um, I was just flown in. Did you, I mean, that's amazing. Did you think after you did the audition, did you go, yeah, I think I nailed that before yeah. she said, uh, that, so you knew there and then. I remember like, knowing that the, the, I remember knowing that I had a, an interesting take on it. That was like, I felt good about it. It felt, mm. it felt good to just do the scene at home. So I knew that I was, I was actually looking forward to performing it, which is, you know, a good bit of advice for people. Like, yeah, I was excited. I was like, I can't wait for people to see this. I think I've put some work in. And I, I remember the, the brief for the character said highly caffeinated. Uh, Scotty from Star Trek, highly caffeinated. And I, um, this kind of, this this weird twist of fate, what happened. So I would, I knew how to do this scene at a million miles per minute. Uh, sticking to the brief, right? And then as I got closer and closer on the tube, outside I was having a quick smoke before I went in, I start thinking, ah, you know what? It's a bit much, right? That's a bit too broad. It's a bit too cartoonish. I'm going to bring it back. I'm going to bring it back. I don't want to twist, tw trip up on my words. Um, and then where I sat in the waiting room, I could see the assistant, Carson Director's assistant's um, iMac. And she was cutting together other auditions so i could see all the dudes who had been in before me for ravi on the screen because i just where i happened to be sitting i could see a screen and i didn't feel like any of them were moving because even though i didn't have sound i could tell from their energy i was like uh oh, none of them are highly caffeinated none of them did the did the thing that it says in bold on the carson thing <laughs> so that empowered me to go no fuck it do what you said you do do it I go in there and just, it's big. And I'm like, da, 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 da. And, I, and then within, yeah, like I said, within a week. So I just stuck to it. I stuck to my instincts. I followed the brief and it changed my life. It saved my life, man. And, and yeah, as soon as it ended, uh, Bly Manor came along 
Um, and going right back to what you said, I had to research it um, by watching Hill House. And I was very upset by all of it. I was, I had my first meeting with Mike. It literally went like this, dude. It was, this is, this is like, he's such a fucking nice, he doesn't deserve the crap that I am when I talk. So like I walk into his room and meet Mike Flanagan and I was like, uh, yeah, I've got a bit of a bone to pick with you, man. The fucking jump scare in the car. Like what's your fucking problem? <laughs> like I said, I was so scared. I didn't jump scare. You know, those ones, I didn't do this. I just was like, yeah. Cause inside all sorts of shit just went on. Um, and I, so I was, and then the next question was, you know, we have the scripts and these, and the next question was, what's Ewan McGregor like? Cause I knew he'd just done Dr. Sleep and he was like, yeah, he's cool. You so, know? And, and I was just trying to get him to talk about Star Wars and that was our blind meeting. Oh yeah. Uh, so you did, you did watch Dr. Sleep. He arranged a screening. Right. Cause, um, cause it was coming pretty, out. It's pretty scary parts. It's certainly nasty. Oh yeah. It was, and I had to watch The Shining to know what was going on in Doctor that Sleep. That was going to be my next question. Yeah. So you have now watched The Shining. Yeah. Was this the first watch of The Shining? Yes. For you. And? Are you ready? Yeah. Overrated. Uh, I know. Uh, I see the typewriter. I see it. Uh, 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 what? I've got what? a tiny, there's a tiny thing that I, I'm well, not Coley, keen on. Well, it's been a pleasure speaking to you. Thank it. you yeah. for your time. <laughs> Go on then. Now let's hear it. I'm interested. Tell me. Look, I think it's, I do think it's really good. I mm. do. My issue was um, Jack looks like he's going to rip his family's face off before he's even got to the Outlook Hotel. Mm -hmm. Like he's coming in hot. <laughs> right? At his interview, he's already like, you know, and, uh, and uh, I, I don't know. I just want to, like, who am I to just talk about Nicholson and Kubrick? No, it's, but I would have liked a little bit more of a, you know, a bit of an arc. You know who has exactly the same opinion as you, Stephen uh, Mr. King. Stephen King. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's. Uh, yeah. That's. I'm that just was defending my boy. <laughs> that was his. Uh, that was his massive problem with it. He was like, you know, at no point do you think that this is a normal, nice guy who's being infected by the evil in the hotel. It's, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and I think that's more but, interesting to watch, you know. Yeah. But. But have you? Uh, Wait. So you do like? You've, have you watched? Do you watch much Stephen King? Do you read Stephen King? You like Stephen King? Uh, this gets me in trouble. Um, I'm currently. It's. It's at this point. It's offensive that someone I now collaborate with a lot, and you know, Stephen King is Mike's hero. Mm. We can't talk. You know, like Mike don't want to talk about George Lucas all the time. When I mean, he's sick, you know, he wants to talk about Stephen King. Right. Um, and I can't, so I've never read King. I'm currently reading King as we speak. Uh, I'm oh. doing like a huge research on the man and, and all his works, mm. um, and his movies. And so I'm, I'm going through it now. It's yeah. I'm having to do all of this horror shit now as an, as an adult because of this relationship. I think it's good for you. I think it's really good. I think this is yeah. important stuff. I mean, look, you've got Pennywise over here. Like I you need to it. do. I thought it was oh, great. Did the new one or the, the Tim new one, Curry. not the Tim Curry one? No, I haven't seen the Tim Curry one. Watch the Tim Curry one. It's uh, yeah, it's it's that's the film to talk about. Film that screwed me up as a kid. Yeah. That was it was uh, Tim Curry as Pennywise in in the TV movie of it. It's um, it's absolutely terrifying. It, it still probably, holds up. 
it's very difficult to disassociate my memories of watching it as a kid. I did do it again recently, and it's not as scary. But as a kid, oh, it was... Yeah, uh, I remember that being the one... We, we are similar in age, and like yeah. that was one... Candyman was another one. I, I, these are <sighs> movies I stayed away from. I was like, new. Weird, isn't it? You see, that's uh, the, just the power that horror has. Especially, I mean, I, obviously it still holds power now, but something like Candyman, little gimmicks like saying his name five times into a mirror, and you just yeah. wouldn't do it. You'd be standing with friends, and the power of that movie would not yeah. allow any of you to ever do it five times. Yeah. It's, it's especially amongst kids, like the way it ripples through school, a title. And like, it's enough for people to just like kids to just I mean, even be f- afraid of just the, someone telling you the synopsis. And it's just like, nope. Mm. I mean, the funny thing is I'm a massive fan of video games and, and I am a big film fan, but where, where missing out an entire genre in film seems criminal, right? Like, yeah. how can you, there's so, you know, I've still seen 28 days. Like, I'm not that bad. Like I do get out and watch stuff. It's just not, it's not, it's not my choice, but I will go out and see the best stuff. I saw Hereditary because how could I not, right? Like mm. it's got to be done. So I do do it. It's part of my industry. Now with games, something about, even though it's a horror, I cannot, I have to play it even if I hate every second of it, because game is so important to me. I feel like I cannot ignore an entire genre. Mm. So yeah. I play those. I, I, yeah. I mean, like you look down, um, you look down your CV and it's, uh, there's obviously there's Bly, mm. there's I zombie, uh, Dr. Crane in Harley Quinn, mm-hmm. AKA the scarecrow, uh, gears five. I mean, this is like sci-fi comic book, yeah. like sci-fi, horror uh, this is this is this is a very cool cv to have i mean it's like really cool genre stuff that that you're getting to do you are tapping into something that i've only admitted to a few people recently and you just you've you you are echoing my sentiments which is i never planned any of that right i didn't intend to be in harley quinn and supergirl and gears of war and um even you know by manner is still an adaptation of the, the, the novellas. And so there, there's always this, it's genre stuff, right? Mm. And, and sci-fi. And what's happened is, and it's all my shit. Like, I love all of it. Um, you look, I look back at it and I'm like, why would I want to do this role? It's not in that bracket anymore. <laughs> so it's starting to like, I'm starting to become protective where I'm like, yeah, that doesn't fit with the CV, which is fucked because it's, it's holding me back because I'm turning down shit and, you know, because <laughs> I'm in my back of my mind, I'm like, yeah, but is it sci-fi though? Yeah, but is it a video game reboot? But I also don't want to be that guy because, you know, I, I, there are so many wonderful things out there. But yeah, like right now when I read scripts and when I when I go up for auditions, I am looking at the, I'm like, does this fit in with the CV? Um, uh, but yeah, no, it's it's been, it's been a, a, a happy accident, all of them. Um, I don't seem to book stuff that's not around that. And I seem to book the ones that are. So, and now the I new mean, one is Zack Snyder's um, project that I just did this year, uh, which is uh, Twilight of the Gods, which blew my mind. How was it? It was, it was amazing. Uh, I wasn't expecting that to happen this year, like to be directed by, by Zack Snyder. And um, we announced it 
uh, a few weeks ago. So I don't think, I don't know how much press it got, but um, the cast, if you pull it up, is just it's ridiculous. Um, but yeah, that was that was an amazing experience. Again, just came out of nowhere and uh, fit right in with the CV. Um, it's like a Norse animation for Netflix, but Zach's take on it. Cool. Yeah. That's that cool. was a cool one. Yeah. He's a, he, did you meet him as part of uh, doing it then, Zach mm-hmm. himself? Yeah. yeah. yeah nice yeah. guy, isn't he? Dude, He's, the uh, nicest. Um, I had, uh, I was the third zombie from the front in his Dawn of the Dead remake uh, who chased Ving Rhames out of the shopping mall. So that's Seriously? How I, yeah, the 2004 reboot. Yeah. I get I get into trouble. I tell that story far too often, but it's my little <laughs> bit of, uh, it's my little bit of uh, Zack Snyder connection there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I, I that's didn't get a great told film off. as well. Oh, it's a, it's probably one of the best reboots in history. Yeah, it's yeah. fantastic. But um, I gave my zombie a limp, and after the first take, he went, <laughs> he went, yeah, um, what are you doing? And I was like, I thought I'd give him a limp. He was like, yeah, don't do that. <laughs> that was me being directed by Zack Snyder. Me being oh, that was the same. By- that was the, we had the same experience. <laughs> yeah, um, don't do that. <laughs> uh, but Gears 5, um, I haven't played it. Gears 2 hmm. is, um, I mean, I, you, I know you're, you're a massive gamer. I sort of, hmm. I have like, I have spurts where I, I do a lot of gaming and then spurts where I just don't have the fucking time to yeah. do it. But Gears 2 was one of the few games that I ever completed. Um, and that's just to go back to the, the idea of gaming and horror and like all these different sort of like melding of, um, of genres. Mm. the moment in gears two where he thinks he's found his wife alive and she falls out and it cuts and it's a fucking corpse broke my heart it's heart-wrenching that's the moment i realized gaming can tell a story as well as a film like we'd cross the threshold yeah Uh, i i I had the same experience with probably a little later but with the telltale's walking dead um which was a choose your own adventure. You know, you pick your own dialogue options and stuff. So it does play a little bit closer to, to, and it's come, it, it, it comes as episodes. So it's a, it's a closer bridge. There is a scene in there, um, was the first time, um, I was um, crying, crying mm-hmm. while playing the video game, holding a controller and, 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 and losing it. And, um, now I, I mean, I try and bring others into the fold too, because you sit around a group of actors and the, you know, we want to talk about Chekhov and shit. And, and I, I, I feel like I've got to talk about, I try and bring the conversations into video games in terms of a storytelling medium. Um, I also have to give like, <laughs> I've been doing this since drama school. They'll be like, yes, well, you know, the crucible and I'll go, yeah, but Rocky four, bruv. <laughs> like, <laughs> let's talk about Rocky four. So that's the kind of stuff I'm trying to pull into the into the acting world. Let's talk about Rocky Four and whether the robot's still going to be in it. That's the big it's question. Is it, is it's, it, have they have taken it out? Apparently, the director's cut. It's gone. I fucking love the, the sexy robot. robot. It got sexy because it fell in love with Polly. Yeah, like what a great. Yeah, he changed his voice to a woman. And, yeah, yeah, and uh, it got jealous and shit. <laughs> it's a very strange, but that's part of the charm. That's what like Rocky Four is. I, I try and say this to anyone who wants to get in. Like when you talk about film, and you know, obviously, I mean a ton of people who are so well versed in in movies. Uh, who haven't watched Rocky? Because you write those. You some people write stuff off, right? And and I'm like, yo, Rockies are incredible for any student because each one echoes the time 
and the decade in which it's made, you can watch this kind of arc of this one character's journey and from its gritty 70s start, which, you know, almost mirrors what was going on at the time with your, you know, Godfather, you know what I mean? It it came from that era into like 1980s Rocky three with Clubber Lang into the music video that's Rocky four into the nineties. And then you get the reboot of Rocky Balboa, which again was in that time of where we were going back and, getting these old franchises back mm-hmm. up. It's such a wonderful way to, to watch cinema change and, um, and then Creed like, yeah, I, I recommend people, anyone to, to watch that for a little history lesson. So the big movie for you though, as a kid, Star Wars. So I'm, I'm guessing, I mean, yeah, I almost feel you must've been asked this a billion times hmm. and that is your flat looks absolutely <laughs> sick in LA. It's only a little bit. There's a giant 7,000 piece Millennium Falcon over there. And yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit of a fan for sure. But it's, it's very cool. So you, it's weird. Cause I'm, I'm, I don't know why, but I didn't, mm. I, I thought you were working in LA and then I, I, I pieced it all together and you live in LA. Like that is home for you now. Yeah. 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 Um, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not a resident. I, I can't, I'm not allowed to vote or anything, but I, I'm on a work visa. <laughs> So I've been here now on and off. I mean, I, I predominantly, funnily enough, because of the way filming's worked, I've been in Vancouver more than LA. So I have this apartment, I live here. Um, but almost every year for the about seven, eight months, I've been gone in Vancouver shooting either five years of iZombie. Then I did Blind Manor. Then I did Midnight Mass. I just got back from unannounced project. So Vancouver's this unofficial home, but yeah, when I, this is where I would put my bags down and 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 chill. Um, you like it then? I'm, I, I, I'm I assuming it. you do. No, I hated it. I, I fucking hated LA. Um, I, I I first sort of came out here 2015, I think, and London's the only place I'd ever been. I grew up there. I'm from Wembley, and um, you know the rules. And I don't know, like I came out here and it just didn't click for me. I was like, don't like it, don't care for it don't care for the people, place is dirty. It's, it, you know, I don't know. They, it just, it didn't gel. And it took about four years mm. and I just wouldn't come here. I, I preferred Vancouver. And then somewhere like on the fourth or fifth year it clicked. And I heard that's quite common for LA yeah. for people moving that like it clicks and you go, Oh, this place is dope. And that was it. Like once it clicked, it clicked. And now, you know, anytime I'm asked to film and it's not in LA, I'm like, Oh, because I, I love being here and now I'm used to the sun and yeah. And have you found an area that you like? Cause I, it, it's a similar story for me. Like I, um, I, I was, I mean, it's weird cause I, I, I wasn't driving there cause I was going there for work and, yeah. um, this is back in 2003 before Uber. And so like you, it was fine getting a cab from a hotel to somewhere yeah. Yeah. and then getting back to the hotel was a no, nightmare. There were like three cabs in LA at any one time. Yeah. And so Uber changed it a lot uh, for me. But also, you used to do, you'd come up here for the Oscars, right? Yeah, we did the Oscars. You yeah, we've the done Oscars the Oscars in LA. Yeah. But yeah, it was uh, yeah, it was way back and uh, yeah, 2003 was the first trip to LA for Too Fast, Too Furious. Um, <laughs> but it was, uh, it's, I like, 
I found Silver Lake and that kind of changed yeah. a lot for me. I thought, here's a little area which is an actual center. Like you can mm-hmm. walk to a coffee mm-hmm. house and a restaurant and everything's in walking distance, which for LA is kind of nuts because normally yeah. it's a 40 minute drive between places. Yeah, it's Silver Lake comes up a lot. There are a few little pockets um, that it is like that. Like, yeah, you can walk somewhere. Um, a block in LA is not a block in New York. Like it's, it's ridiculous. It's, it's so misleading. I, that's what happened, man. When I first got to LA, it was, I just wrapped season one of iZombie. It hadn't come out. Um, I had just got paid. I'd never had that before. So I was 28 and I went fucking mental. Um, <laughs> Till 2am though. Uh, Cause everything shuts at 2am. Everything shut down at 2am. 2, 2 <laughs> absolutely. Actually, no, I found some places. I, I was on one, like such a fucking cliche of like working class kid from, you know, Wembley. And then of course I, I went crazy the way you'd think someone who had got their first paycheck <laughs> and a little bit of TV went. So, and I lived on Hollywood Boulevard. And I'm already a bit of a psycho. I've like, I was, I was a bit unstable in like Wembley. (laughs) So I was living on Hollywood Boulevard, driving around in a Mustang. Oh, so it had to be a Mustang, right? Cause you know, we're cliche. We're British boys. You got to get the American muscle car or rent or whatever. So I was living on Hollywood Boulevard, literally outside the Pantages theater. So even getting a coffee in the morning was like Disneyland, like there are tourists taking photos in front of you of the, of the star walk. Right. And like people every day was like, Hey, star tours. Da, 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 da. So I was in that, the thick of that. And then I did it three years consecutively. And oh even my, my co-stars, yeah, they were like, what is wrong? With-? And I had a street level apartment. They were like, what is wrong with you? Hollywood Boulevard is, is like, is, is nuts in the way you described it, but also fucking scary. Like you walk oh. down the wrong end of Hollywood Boulevard and you're like, how is this called Hollywood Boulevard? Like then you need to like put a sign up going, you yeah. are now entering the fucking terrifying end of Hollywood Boulevard with scary people. Dude, uh, I never took them seriously. To I didn't take American seriously. Look. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at UH1.com. That's UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. They make the new, like mass shootings, yeah. But I don't, I don't go to school. You know, mm. I, I don't go to malls that often. So like I didn't, apart from like the gun thing. And then I knew as long as I'm on the coasts, I'm cool. That was my perception of the UK, I'm uh, sorry, of, of the US from the UK. So I never took them that seriously. They were just like loud McDonald's, you know, excitable Disneyland lovers. That was what <laughs> I thought. And then I'm from, nah, but I'm from London, bruv. Like, do you know what I mean? I grew up in fucking like bad areas and 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 had you know unsavory friends and shit like that. So I was like, fuck, I don't care. And then I, I decided to to walk one block. I lived near a 7-Eleven at two in the morning. And as I was walking, a car went by with if you were casting like LA gangsters, you'd pick these three dudes. And one guy was hanging out of his passenger seat and he just was like, the fuck you looking at? And, and Alex, like, I have never shat my, like, then it all clicked. I was like, they have guns. This happens all the time. This isn't like a street stabbing in London. And it changed every, cause I used to start on them a bit. Like when we go out oh. for a drink, I still had that pub energy, right? Like, uh, yo, yeah. get fuck out of my face. Mm. And and then I, I realized in LA, I was like, no, 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 no. All of that British stuff, forget about it. Um, now I keep my eyes down. I moved from, from Hollywood Boulevard. I was like, I can't take this. I can't, I, going out for a pack of cigarettes could end up terribly. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, um, yeah, that was just chaos. It was where my head was at. Now I'm in a very quiet area. I'm on the east side. So near Silver Lake and all of that, okay. I found, yeah, not Silver Lake, but... Um, but yeah, I've been here for a couple of years now and it's, it's gorgeous. I get it. I'm, I'm in. So a Mustang though. Really? Yeah. That's still kind of, I mean, that's cool. I, I, I won't lie. That's cool. That's cool. I'd have gone for, and it's my dream. If I ever moved to LA or America in general, it's the Pontiac Fiber Trans Am 1977 from Smokey and the Bandit. I was going to say, what film is that from? That's Smokey and the Bandit, man. That's that's the car I drive. I like. I I looked for a while at getting one here, and then I realized how fucking wide it is. And like, oh I yeah, just, you'll never be able to drive it around. I can drive it anywhere. Like, nah. I, you know, I live in North London. I'd be like, just like it would. It wouldn't happen. I'd be stuck. I, I wanted the car from Bullet, the fastback. Oh that's yeah, my, that's my yeah. my dream. But no, for now it's just um, <clears throat> it's just the Mustang. But most of my co-stars or people I work with or whatever are all Tesla junkies now. That's the LA thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, it's LA's all... like that. So you got you got your Teslas. Although I will say this: like LA um, is leagues leagues above London in terms of vegan restaurants. Uh, oh like, yeah. It's it's crazy. Like uh, Crossroads on Melrose, you know the one that's owned by Travis Barker from Blink One Eight Two. It's yeah. like it's 
just the greatest restaurant. And then like near uh, sort of your way, there's a little pine Moby's restaurant. That's amazing. Yeah, I'm um, guessing yeah. you're yourself a vegan, right? As close as I can be. Close I, as you I, can. Yeah, I'm not really vegan, like, because I eat cheese, because I can't live without cheese, and vegan cheese sucks. Sure. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, some great vegan restaurants. In the the you? bashing you're, that we... You're not, no, 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 no. Um, the, I said it like like it's a problem. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, nah, I still, uh, you know, I'm still eating McDonald's, isn't it? We'll figure that, I'll figure that out first before I leave meat. But um, right. I... Uh, one of the bashings that UK would take, particularly London from from the US, was oh I I, I stayed in the UK. Food's terrible. You get that so mm. often when you meet Americans, they're just like fucking food's awful. Food's awful. And I'd be like, what London? How, what are you talking about? There's so much variety. And then I lived in LA and was like, oh yeah, oh yeah, you're right. I, I they they have fantastic food, but even. even uh, Vancouver shits on LA. Vancouver's food is just... Have you ever so, been to Vancouver? I, I have, yeah. Years and years ago, 2004, I was in Vancouver. Okay. Remember, did you ever see the Vin Diesel movie, The Chronicles of Riddick? Riddick, the, yeah. Yeah, yeah, the sequel to Pitch Black, so the second one. I was there covering that. I was you know going to say you had a limp, you were playing as... No, 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 they wouldn't <laughs> let me on that one. They wouldn't <laughs> let me on that one. Um because, you know, it's that weird thing, isn't it? Because Vancouver seems to be the place to be at the moment. Mm-hmm. Like, it mm-hmm. ebbs and flows from city to city, depending on, like, tax rebates and whatever That's the right, government yeah. of that country is offering and so forth. And there was a point where in uh, the early noughties where Vancouver was the place. And then it sort of went away again. But it sounds like it's back now. Oh, yeah. the Because, I, I, like, in the meantime, I know Atlanta's kind of become yeah. a bit of a, a, bit of a, 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 a spot. But uh, Vancouver, when I got there, was... When we started, it was only 2014. And at that point, they already had just the CW alone, which I don't know if anyone from the UK is listening. The CW is the network that uh, a lot of the... I have this really weird smoker's weed. One second. Excuse are me. You sti- um, are you still smoking? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. me too. Terrible yeah. habit. It's worse. Work makes it even worse. Like, it's, yeah. it's, it's associated to my job. Yeah. It's exactly. I, I totally know what you mean. It's like yeah. if I have a, if I someone goes, yeah, you got literally just it'll take us ten minutes to reset this light, and I'm like, cool, I'm having a cigarette there. Yeah. That's where yeah. I'll be. Yeah, I, I've associated it to learning lines, oh, which in no. my, so I'm going to be dead soon. <laughs> like you give me a couple <laughs> more shows, I will be dead because it's it's like okay, that's the rehearsal. Cool, that's what you want me to do. Right, give me five. <laughs> And it's a smoke with, you know, just running the actions through privately. But the cigarette has to be there. Um, but but um, what was I saying? Oh, the CW. Yeah. Like by the time I'd got there, the CW had 10 shows maybe. It was like The Flash and, and Supernatural. Um, fucking hell. Riverdale. There was so many anyway. They, they, it's become, they called it um, Hollywood North. I think it's nicknamed. Um, and now I know Netflix has or is doing a lot of productions up there. Um, I, I can't seem to get away from the place. Secretly, I'm look- supposed to be going back again for um, an, another big one. But um, yeah, I mean, I should have just bought a fucking place at this point. But <laughs> I didn't know. But do you, uh, do you were going to say, do you like it? 
Is it nice, Vancouver? I mean, I, I again, it was what nearly twenty years ago when I was there, mm. and I thought this is a beautiful city, really clean, and it's got a, yeah. a, it's got the same climate. Does it have the same climate as LA? Is it like uh, London? Pretty, London. All right, yeah. Okay. If, if you look at your weather app, mm. it's pound for pound. It's always the same. It's the same kind of winters that aren't extreme like Toronto. They're just just the right side of cold like London is. Right. Uh, tons of rain, but then they could have a good summer. Um, I sadly, I mean, look, I, I do love Vancouver. Vancouver has some issues, but for the most part, um, you, I don't think you can shoot in a better, a, a better city. Um, and it's so versatile, the land, like you can do, it can double for New York in certain places. And at the same time you can go skiing or go to the beach or do a forest thing. Like, Mm. It, all within like a five, six mile radius. That's why you use Vancouver. It's it's fantastic. The only issue is, is that most shows tend to move up to start filming around late August or mine have anyway. So I spend most of the time there in the autumn and winter. Mm. Uh, and then I don't leave until February, March. So I get, I see Vancouver. It's like crappiest, gloomy, rainy, shitty. I don't want to go out. I don't care. Um, <clears throat> But this time, I think in eight years, this is the first time I just shot something and I hadn't been there during their June. And then I was like, fuck, this place is, imagine if this, like the, the weather changes that city, it just became, it's, it's a better LA. Um, yeah. So that's the only issue is, is most, like I said, most shows shoot in the winter and it fucking sucks. I'm tired of the rain. <laughs> Do you, do you miss London at all? I mean, like you've been out there so long now, but I mean, obviously I imagine you've got family here. And, yeah, yeah, all my family. And do you, do, you, do you get back much? Do you, is there something that London has that perhaps you're not getting out there? Yeah, just my loved ones. I, yeah. I, uh, we'll get, we can get deep. I'm, I'm like, it's, it's a very, it's a strange payoff, man. Um, those years I described to you where professionally I was miserable um I was amongst my friends my, my loved ones like it was a phone call away I was living at home with my folks you know um so socially I was very comfortable very happy professionally I was miserable and then the flip happened which is I became professionally happy uh mm. socially miserable with LA very isolated mm. very cut off and it's not for a lack of like friends. It's an attitude shift. There's something about LA where no one really wants to fucking go 20 minutes down the road. Like you just don't, it's just a very strange thing. Like everywhere. See the other side of town is only what Santa Monica. It's only 30 minutes. It might as well be 30 days. No one wants to go that side of town. So like I've definitely cut myself off a little bit from um, that. So it's just all work really. And um, I mean, the lockdown didn't help. I think th th that kind of really set me in my ways now where like before I'd go for a packet of cigarettes, right. Just down to the street, just to see people, I'd pop to the nearest Seven Eleven or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I'd only buy one packet at a time. So it was part of my daily routine. All right, wake up, let's get some cigarettes, let's go. And in the last six months, I started buying in bulks of 10. So I don't even have that. Cause I'm just like, eh, I'll just sit here and watch a film or, or do some studying or whatever. And so, yeah, I've, I've flipped it. So I, yeah, I don't know what's happened. I'm that I do miss. I miss, I miss, I just miss home really. I miss, I miss the people, but London offers me nothing 
career-wise. The UK fucking hates me, man. Like, you should see really? even now. Yeah, dude, like, even the way, like, someone had to apologize to me because of the way a director spoke to me for an audition two years, like, a year or two ago over a comment they made about iZombie. They were like, this isn't like that fucking American shit you've been doing. Like, this is real comedy we do in the UK. And I was like, <laughs> they're still talking, like, it still feels like um, 26, wow. 27 at the commercial casting. And it's like, yeah, but, you know, it's not like you're American junk. And So he apologized, the, the, the director apologized or some casting, apologized. Casting apologized when they had on their behalf. that was, yeah, on their behalf. Because um, I had flown in for a screen test to do that for quite a big project. And, um, and I only re I, I ended up dropping even my uh, uh, parting ways with my UK agent because I can't book over at home. No one cares. Even now, like, what do you think? Do, have you analyzed? I mean, I tend, I, I ask because I tend to analyze the shit out of everything. Like, you know, yeah. like, I mean, long, long story from my end. Like, I, I changed my name from like, this is sort of, this is a, a real tangent, but I changed my name from my Arabic name when I was at school because yeah. I was absolutely petrified, like, of being like judged on that. So uh, I got rid of it um, because I was, I figured like I didn't want to ever sort of walk away from something and go, I didn't get that because of my fucking name. And you know, it's a, that's a big conversation for another day. I just just wondered whether like you've sort of looked at it and wondered if there was a, a, a reason for it. I think I felt at the time, um, and this may have changed. This is again, this is based on something almost 10 years old now. I don't know how much it's changed, but I felt like I was never really in with a shot. It was like, uh, it was fake. It was all already rigged. The best agents, the actors that were doing a lot of the UK stuff were already at the right schools. They already got nabbed by the best agents. They were being brought in for real auditions. Um, and it, and then there would be these cattle calls that would happen afterwards where they would just throw this little net out and just go, here, read for this. And then I'd, I'd read and it would go to the same people and I'd go, oh, not to say that there was a lack of talent. I mean, the people I was losing out to for years was Riz and Dev and stuff like that. But then there was these other actors um, and you'd look and you'd go, oh, you went to that drama school. Oh, you went to Guildhall. Oh, you went to Lambda. Oh, you went to RADA. Oh, you're with that agent. It was the same people constantly booking. And I was like, is that, does that, is that about quality or is there more at work? Is there, are they really just the best people for the job? Are they that well-trained and, uh, that it's that, or is the game rigged? Is it, that's how I felt. I was like, mm-hmm. I don't have that kind of educational background. I don't have that level of agent. I'm still going for the same stuff because I belong to an ethnic group that is, you know, it's small. So, and then on top of that, this job at the time when I was doing it wasn't necessarily favored by my culture. You know, a lot of people are discouraged from going into the arts that are from um, certain ethnic backgrounds. Mm -hmm. So being from a small group meant that I'd always go up for everything, no matter how big it was, because they didn't have a choice. Um, But I would still lose it to the one or two people. So that's how I interpreted it. I interpret it as a members only club. Um, 
And the way I felt about America, which proved itself to me in my first real job was, oh, we don't care if you're not a name, it's best, it's best person for the job. You could, that, the idea that like, you know, when you hear someone's like, I'm not even an actor. I, I went with my brother to the audition yeah. and they were like you. And then that person becomes like a fucking A-lister. That, that idea or you're, you know, I was just at the grocery store and I got yeah. a modeling contract. That's a real thing in America. Like it really is. I genuinely believe that. And I'm, I myself feel like proof of that. Like when, when my I zombie coast, stars found out that they were like, did you not do a network screening? Did you not? We've, we auditioned seven times before we got iZombie. And I was like, no, one tape. <laughs> and do you know what I mean? Walked onto set and then just, that was it. And that was the journey. And so, yeah, I don't know if that kind of like started from the bottom, that kind of thing that can happen. Um, it, I, I don't know if that happens in the UK. I feel like there's a lot more ceilings for me anyway. And I don't know, even now, so... I look that, that, that's what I was going to say, but mm. now, because obviously Bly, you know, Bly was huge here, like, you know, platforms are now global, so it's not like, you know, whereas iZombie probably, you know, had... A, yeah, it didn't a come to the UK for a while. Exactly, whereas mm -hmm. Bly, you know, everyone here saw it, and it was, it was a big thing, it was a big talking mm. point, so surely that has changed now, or do you still, it, it, it feels, it sounds a bit like you still feel like, you know, there, there is something different about the uk i mean uh, i'm not it's it's hard for me to say if it's changed now like production the industry has changed um from for, for a lot of people post covid like um there is less work there mm. there just is and a lot of projects aren't you know to to make a show right now or a film under covid guidelines adds about 20% to your budget. Like it's expensive. It's expensive to have those daily tests for a crew. So things are a bit slow anyway. And that all kind of happened when Bly came out. So I haven't seen what, how the industry would be without the, with the training wheels off, you know, just going for it like it used to be. So I can't speak to that, but um, uh, I also don't, I've been very fortunate that, most now what's happening is I've started to experience the uh, we want you, which is I get the, you know, they contact my team and it's people offering me work. It's like, please, would you read this script? That doesn't happen in the UK, uh, but it's happening in the US. So I'm not auditioning as much. I'm not seeing it because now it's like this interesting project wants this or Mike has got something fucking cool lined up. Um, so I'm out in a weird way. I'm sort of out of that for a little bit. Um, but I, yeah, I don't know. I, and I also look, I'll put my hands up because I do look, I, I fucking miss Brits in general and I miss so much about home. And like, whenever I get to Heathrow airport, there's just this calm. Where I'm like, I know the rules here. I, these are my people. I feel less special because of course being a Brit, being an Englishman in, in LA it comes with, attention that of course yeah. i want when you're like hello hi i'd like a latte <laughs> you know, oh my god well, your though. accent is <laughs> yeah. amazing um yeah. but um but yeah like i i know that i i'm almost like um scorned so i know that i'm like fuck you like if a you if a if a british production comes along and I, I have this weird attitude which i need to adjust man i put my hands up um 
if if anything comes up for the UK, I'm like, oh, now you want to fucking hire me? Where were you when I was doing the Enviraphone commercial? So I've got this like attitude going in, and I think I like there's definitely that going on, and I've turned into this, you know, America been loyal, so right. I'm gonna stay here because if it was up to you lot. I'll probably still be doing Harvey Nichols commercials. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So I know there's an attitude adjustment. I know it's on me too. Yeah. I mean, that does sound, that sounds like you. I'm not going to lie. That sounds, that sounds like your thing. It's entirely my shit. I understand where it, (laughs) where it's come from. But yeah, I, you know, if you're walking into a casting in the UK and go, all right, motherfuckers. So finally picked up the phone. Did you? It's yeah, it's not a good look. Um, I probably asked I probably asked for it. No, but like it's it's yeah, and I I yeah, I've got so I got this like weird look. I'm a very loyal uh worker in the sense that like like with Mike, for instance, now um I turned down some stuff I probably shouldn't have uh in stuff that is definitely fits in with the CV. Mm-hmm in fact probably you know is bigger than what i'm letting on i i turned down the the, the golden egg like the gold i've turned down that stuff that stuff has come along the big one i mean the and, only thing i know it's not that you turned down that i can't imagine you would ever turn down is a, a is a part in the mandalorian so and that's the only thing i can i can cross off the list of things that you won't have turned down you're not you're not right but <laughs> i it, no it's the it's the big stuff yeah right. I, I can't say cuz i'm still under a yeah, of Even course. my auditions are NDA'd um, with that stuff. But like, uh, I, I I was offered something that was the dream and uh, said no for Midnight Mass for a very silly reason. And because Mike was like, what the fuck are you doing? We'll make the schedule work. Why are you turning this down? And I was like, no, I agreed to your project first. Wow. This is something that we want to commit to. This is something that I, I want to commit my time to and I don't want to share it. So mm. I know it was the big one. I know... I know it was the thing that I, I want, but um, no. And that's, that was something I get, I, I did not for Mike, but I did for, for Midnight Mass. And, and um, that's the kind of actor I want to be. And, and, and that seems to have paid off. And so the same, the same token of like where with Mike's concerned now, I'm like, I'm down. Yeah. Like he could just mention something that has a rough shoot date without a contract. And if I get an offer for something that conflicts, I'll say no. And I know my team were like, what the fuck? You don't even have the contract for the other thing. And I'm like, this is, this is my guy. Like, I, I, you know, um, I'm the same towards the country. I'm the same, uh, the same towards LA, like American productions are taking precedent right now. It shouldn't because my, 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 my manager is obsessed with who's American. She's obsessed with, uh, UK stuff. And she's like, we mm. there's so many good UK shows. What the fuck are we doing? Like, are you sure? Don't we, don't we want to be on this? And I'm like, eh. Um, yeah. But that's that's amazing. I mean, like, I guess for you, like, as well as your relationship with Mike as a person, you mm. must feel that you're doing your best work and being being fulfilled in your career by the roles that you're doing for him. So it's not just like, look, I really like this guy. I like the atmosphere on set. I guess it does, it does boil down to like the satisfaction you are getting from your job. Oh, I mean, yeah. Yeah. He makes good stuff. Like it's Mm. not, it's yeah. I'm not just hitching my wagon, something who's just got constant work, no matter the quality it's, it's good stuff. It's great stuff. Midnight mass. um, Honestly is one of the, 
it's the best thing I've ever read. Uh, I accepted immediately on just the story outline, the pitch he gave me in the room. I was like, this is incredible. Um, it's going to be huge. But, um, but the, the reason why Mike uh, and Trevor, Trevor Macy is Mike's producing yeah. partner. Um, the reason why those two, are, 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 I, they've got me for life is because the industry needs to see that you've done something before, before they offer it. It's that closed loop that you see with most, a lot of professions, you know, um, we won't like with an agent, you can't get an agent without a job, but you can't get a job without an agent. It's this closed loop. Um, <clears throat> the same goes for, 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 for acting roles. Um, you, you're not going to get offered certain things outside of what you've already been offered. So when I played Ravi, all my stuff looked like versions of Ravi. And when I did Owen on Bly, all the auditions that came after that echoed Owen. Right. There were no things out of left field. And cool. That's that's always going to happen. Um, where Mike and Trevor are special for me is they don't give a fuck what you just did in the last show for them. They don't care. So it's, you know, I, I, I had dinner with, with Trevor while we were doing mass and he was like, man, I want to see you play a prick. And I, and I was like, yeah. And he was like, yeah. And that's it. Like they don't, it's not about what I've done before. It's there's a trust that they're like, we're going to give you this and you're going to make it work whether you've done it on camera before or not. And who yeah. gets to do that? So it's just this complete, they, they give you, and they do it with Henry Thomas, you know, Henry's fucking phenomenal. Um, for those of you who don't know, Henry was Elliot in ET and um, was Hill House and Blind, done a ton of stuff with with Mike. But but Henry has that relationship with them, which is sounds so scary. He they just go, we'll give you this British, we'll do this, and then Henry goes off and comes back and it's ready. Like he's you know Doctor Sleep. Mm -hmm. He didn't audition. He didn't, like Mike doesn't know how he can play Jack. He, he just gives it to Henry. Henry goes away and comes back and there you go. And they're doing that with me, which is terrifying because I'm not even close to being that talented of an actor, but that's the, that's the, 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 the relationship that we're having. And that's why I'm sticking with them for more than obviously more than just that reason. But one of the, one of the best things is Mike single-handedly giving me one of the most diverse show reels. Um, my stuff in Midnight Mass is, is doesn't resemble blight in the fucking slightest. So that means that I can expect offers or auditions based off Midnight Mass now that are completely different to blight. You know what I mean? So I get this, right. this amazing demo reel that should broaden my my uh, my castings. So that's been a great thing. I mean, that sounds exciting. The whole thing about Midnight Mass sounds so exciting. I mean, I look, I, I think I can say the few things that I know because they're online, <laughs> which is that, you know, a small community on an isolated island is visited by a priest and shit happens. It's yeah. pretty much all there is out there. But weirdly, you, you see Mike Flanagan's name and you hear that and you go, he's directing every episode. He's he written is. it with a couple of co-writers as well. And I'm just like, oh, that's... I have a real love for um, series and especially horror that takes place on an isolated location. 
like it transports you there and you as the audience feel trapped in the location like the people, like the cast themselves are. I don't know whether you saw the terror recently, the one about the John Franklin expedition, which goes wrong and gets caught in the ice and there's a monster. Man, that's really good as well. Um, But yeah, it just, on paper, Midnight Mass sounds great. It's, um, yeah, it's Mike's, I mean, Mike will say this, uh, he he thinks it's his best work he's ever done. Um, and if you watch Gerald's game, mm. Midnight Mass is on the shelf above yes. Carlos. And it's also in Hush. Midnight Mass is something that Mike wrote 10 years ago. Um, and it's taken this long for it to get uh, greenlit. And um, yeah, it's his, it's his special project. It's the project. Um, and um it's it's really fucking good like uh the cast again like this has been the strangest one i've been on this is what it must feel like to be on a marvel thing um our chairbacks for instance didn't even have our character names usually your character name is also with your chairback they knew that social media someone might post it so it's just our names and the name of the production uh no details character names if you go on imdb you won't know who we're playing. You don't, you wouldn't even know who plays the priest. Mm-hmm. They've really locked this up in a way I've never seen before. Um, and yeah, apart from that synopsis, which is the only thing I can really riff about, um, they can say, yeah, I mean, Mike and um, Michael Fimignari is his DP. Um, these two just, yeah, they, they, we tore it up for seven, six months. We shot seven eps out of sequence so oh. it's like a feature yeah we shot what basically three movies back to back almost um the schedule like trying to track where you were like i know i did one of my last scenes on my first week and vice versa yeah. and they were six months apart um <laughs> so it was but mike is he is one of the best like captains like you know your destination he the, the brief he gives you it's it's fucked working with Mike. It really is because it's you. I always feel bad for the next person. I do. It's not fair. There's a reason why everyone keeps coming back for Mike. It's because of him. And you get notes like that, and you get support like that. Um, it's really hard to like not get spoiled, and then and then you go back to another job, and you go, oh, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, I miss Mike. But yeah, it was it was one of the most incredible experiences. I can't wait for people to see it. I'm not even scared I'm going to drop spoilers because I know this is the first time my loved ones like do not know anything. I've never done that before. They usually know even on set. I'm, I'm not that guarded. I'll be like, you know, covered in something or, you know, they'll see me on eyes on me and they're like, why have you got cuts all over your face? And I'm like, eh, Ravi gets fucking beaten up. Um, but on, on mass, I wouldn't call him in costume didn't talk to him about anything i was just like told mom and dad and i was like just wait won't even tell them the release date because <laughs> i'm that scared wow. i'm like i'm not telling anyone anything but it's, i mean it's you know i think things like that pay dividends i don't want to know anything about it i've you know i wouldn't even start to try and ask you for things not because yeah. of any other reason then it's more exciting to watch something and not know about it especially when you've seen the likes of bly and hill house and and you know what he's capable of as a, as a, a filmmaker and 
and also he's he's earned the right to lock down a production and keep it all a secret because yeah. you know he's got a legacy now already after yeah. you know such a uh, such a short time you sort of go yeah it's a Mike Flanagan joint yeah the fact that it's become a Mike Flanagan joint like <laughs> the thing is it's not a quick journey. Um, he, you know, he's been chipping away for yeah, yeah, like donkeys. But yeah. then, yeah, Hill House just kicked him into mm. the, the speed at which Hill House just kicked him into that level, and um, yeah, and like I'm, I'm in his ear all the fucking time now because I'm like, why don't what, do you want to do like a Star Wars horror? <laughs> like no. <laughs> <laughs> like, do you really is it like you just chew his ear off about star wars does he yeah. even like star wars is he a big star wars i mean who doesn't he's, like star wars yeah no he is he is you know why right. no he's not i don't know alex that's <laughs> the point the thing is he could be just fucking humoring me i don't know yeah he likes it of course he does yeah right but not like on a level that i do but um like i think he's more raiders I know he's I, a, like Spielberg's a big deal to him and and um, Jaws and E.T. and mm-hmm. Raiders of Lost Ark. I think that's his jam. He doesn't feel how I feel about George, I think, is how he feels about about Steven Spielberg. But yeah, I, I was like, I, I'm in his ear like, I don't know how the industry, I'm still on one side, right? I'm still mm-hmm. ignorant. So I'm like, why don't why don't we get the rights to Bioshock? You should direct the Bioshock t- like video game TV show. It's it doesn't work like, like that. It's one of the three games I've completed. That's a fucking good game. That's a yeah, fucking great game. It's a really fucking good game. And like it, Flanagan doing that, doing Bioshock. That would be incredible with those little girls who you steal yeah. the, the energy from or yeah. something. I can't remember. It's ages ago. Yeah. Little, uh, little sisters, I think, with big daddies and stuff. But That's but, right. Yeah. And uh, the Andrew Ryan, the Irish, uh, the and the Woodger kindly. But yeah, like it, it's... That's that's right. Yeah, I'm always in the ear trying uh, to get. You should keep whispering that. Keep whispering that. That's a great Bioshock, I, Mike, Bioshock Flanagan Mike Flanagan thing. Oh, no, dude. Even if he just show ran it and got his <laughs> his top horror directors. Um, but yeah, again, like I said, I don't. I I'm very ignorant. I just think it's it's like Dad's got a credit card, and I'm like anything <laughs> I remotely scare. I'm like, oh, you should do Silent Hill. <laughs> Do you want to make a video game? I'm like the worst agent for us. Like, no, I'm good. I've got projects, man. Fuck off. Yeah. So look, I mean, I mentioned it a moment ago and then we got sidetracked onto something mm. completely different, but you have got a lot of kick-ass Star Wars mm. shit right behind mm-hmm. you there. So when did it start? What movie was it? Was it on TV? Did you go to the cinema? Where did it begin and why? Oh, see, I love talking about it. Uh, it started with the uh, special edition. So I never saw Star Wars growing up. I was a big Masters of the Universe fan with Dolph Lundgren. Okay. That's where it started. So The Shining's overrated, but fucking give me a bit of Dolph Lundgren. (laughs) Underrated is the Master Universe, particularly the Frank Langella's performance and Bill Conti's score come at me. Um, Yeah, no, you're right. Hey, listen, Frank Langella is Skeletor is something to behold. He acts beyond that makeup and you're like, fucking hey, man. It's incredible. You'll never, no one will ever see. It's one of the best villain performances I've ever seen. Um, But no, yeah, I, I, Star Wars was not my jam. Like Batman 89, I was a big Tim Burton fan as a kid. So it was Beetlejuice, Batman 89 and stuff like that. Um, Very quickly, Batman Returns is better than Batman though, correct? 
No. It, so, you know, no, sorry, that was a statement. Uh, no. <laughs> no, Batman, Returns. <laughs> Batman Returns is better than Batman, definitely. Uh, I Batman strong... Returns is the best Batman movie. Uh, oh, wait, you mean including the... Including the Nolan trilogy, yeah. The no, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Batman Returns is where it... They, it these it, are certainly it, takes... Um, they are takes. They are takes. Uh, there's so there's there's something about '89 that there's it's it's too attached to. I can't be objective. I think I think that's the issue. Like all jokes aside, like when something's so important to you, like it's. I remember being four, five years old when I saw Batman '89 and the you know him driving into with Kim Basinger into the cave and the wall goes like all of that. You can returns can't yeah. compare to it because you, I saw it as a five-year-old, you know, and you're just, yeah. So it's hard to be objective. And I'm, and I'm not really asking you to, I mean, Batman, the 1989 Batman is, is a phenomenal film. Uh, yeah. You know, it's got its issues. Jack Nicholson and sure. taking top billing uh, over Batman, over Michael Keaton in a Batman movie is, will always be a little bit weird, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's, well, a, it's and he's also, film. he does another, Jack Torrance thing. I mean, he's the Joker before he's hit the acid. <laughs> like he's already a psycho. He could have just taken the uh, taken on the Batman as Jack Napier. But no, you're right. There, there are issues with that film for, for sure. Yeah, I'm glad we never saw Billy. Um, Billy D. Williams is Harvey Dent. We never got oh, to see, which yeah, was always a shame because that, that yeah, would have been interesting. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it made me scared of being. I never want to be killed in a dressing gown. When Jack Palance dies in a dressing <laughs> gown, I always, I've always felt really uncomfortable about the idea. It's sort of embarrassing, like like someone finding a body and you're in slippers in a dressing yeah. gown. I remember, is that the scene he opens with? Is that you, sugar? Is it sugar lumps? He calls Jack Nicholson. <laughs> yeah, something like that. What it's it? me, yeah. sugar. Yeah. Um, but Star Wars didn't come along until the special editions. So it was on my radar. And I think it was the Doritos came with the discs. Mm. They had a Star Wars Doritos thing. And I used to fucking love Doritos as a kid. <laughs> it was in my Christmas. So I was getting these like freaking discs with like Han Solo on carbonite inside my... Um, in my Doritos. Anyway, the merch hit me, the marketing worked. And I think it was my 11th birthday. Um, I had asked my dad for the Star Wars trilogy, special editions. So that's the VHS box set. I got the gold one. And uh, I think my birthday was on a Friday or something around there. Anyway, we weren't allowed to, one of the house rules was no video games and no movies until Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. During the week, you're not allowed because they lose us and we wouldn't do our homework. So that was the reward. You get to Friday, you can watch Rocky or play your video games, which is why even now, me and my sister go fucking mental on Fridays. Even though as an actor... Every day's of today's a Friday, you know that. Like I'd have got fuck all to do. I could do what I want, <laughs> but in my head, when Friday comes along, I'm like, get my tits out, let's go crazy. <laughs> my parents have conditioned me to think all the best things happen on a Friday. Anyway, I yeah. came home from school and put a new hope in. And and this is your first watch. This is the first, first watch. Time I did it alone. Man. Yeah, yeah, and I did it alone. I just did it in the living room. I was like, here's a new hope, and I was like, ten or eleven. And just like heart palpitations during the battle of Yavin and didn't know that Han was going to, you know, I, I didn't, there wasn't spoilers. It wasn't social media. So like when, you know, as the, as uh, Vader locks on and then, you know, Yahoo, 
<laughs> like as a 10 year old, 11 year old, I was just like, fucking hell. <laughs> and, um, and then that night, like, again, this isn't binging culture. We're, we're talking about a different time. I was like another one. So I put empire in not knowing. I knew that I'm your father, that, that you couldn't avoid that kind right. of spoiler. So you did know that. Okay. okay I did okay. know that, but the way, like, I didn't know about Han just being put in carbonite and mm. it just leaves it there. <laughs> like we lost shit went down. Uh, it blew my mind. And, and, and then and it was ready put, for bed. Oh, so you didn't do Jedi in the same night. So you ended no. on empire. Ended on empire. Cause of time, you know, uh, took me like five hours and whatever. Yeah, yeah. And, and so I was in bed and then, I think it was like seven. I couldn't like uh, couldn't sleep. Waited, and I think I got up first thing breakfast, six a.m., seven a.m. Saturday morning. Jedi went in, and within that space of time, I swear to you, Alex, my life changed. The line, if you look at like influences and diversions, there's where my life would have been if I didn't get that box set from my dad, and where my life is getting it, and <clears throat> it went. It was an overnight obsession. And I didn't know that there were prequels being made because that information was new to, I didn't know that we were going to get one, two and three. And that was in production at the time because it was around 97, 98. So I'm getting into it and I'm like, I didn't have to wait 30, 20 years for the, for you know, or 15 years for Phantom Menace. I'm like, fucking love the original trilogy. All my pocket money went on the action figures and the uh, power of the force for action figures. I had the shelf. I was just consuming Star Wars. I was reading the books, every video game. I was um, just losing my fucking mind. All my homework. It's so funny, dude. Like it could be geography and somehow I've linked it to Tatooine. <laughs> like this, I couldn't, it was like, it was disgraceful. Like every IT homework, every art project, every fucking English project, everything just went back there. I, I couldn't <laughs> stop. I am, um, I remember my auntie um, who hates me. Uh, she, she thought hurt. I was, she, oh, she still does dislike, but I was never a favorite. And um, right, 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 right. And uh, she, she thought I had, like I was developing weird. Um, she was super concerned because she'd come over and I'd be in the garden air fighting with my Qui-Gon Jinn lights. Like I just had lightsabers. No one's there. I'm just in the garden. They're like, where's Rahul? And I just be like, <laughs> and just learning to twirl. And then like, now that I'm an actor, I've kind of been like, ah, so it was all good. Cause they wonder, everyone wonders, why is he so good at fucking sword fighting and shit? And I was like, yeah. Um, but um, yeah, it was just an overnight obsession and, and it became comfort. Uh, everyone has a tough time at school. Um, and, and I was no exception. And I was miserable. I was miserable socially. And there's a lot of reasons, puberty, all of that stuff. And I'd come home and whoop, VHS goes on. Uh, we're allowed to watch. Now I'm in high school. We're allowed to watch VHS. Did you generally. have a, this is where, did you have a group of friends at school? Like, were you part of a group of all like yeah. Star Wars though? Cause that's, that's no, very they hated thing. it. They oh, they it hate it. They, we were still, we are cl we're close to this day. Like the four of us who went to the same primary school, high school, mm. we've stuck together. Um, they weren't fans. They became fans when they were like late teens, like 16, 17, I kind of broke them a bit. And then they were like, all right, let's watch fun. And then they had to watch Phantom Menace Attack of the Clones. Um, <clears throat> not the best, but like, 
now they're fully into it. They'll like, they watch Mandalorian and they'll text me and stuff. But, uh, but I was very much on my own as 11 year old, 12 year old where, where Star Wars was concerned. And they just loved me for it. Cause that's the, that's the thing, isn't it? Like school is school can be shitty. But I guess if you've got comrades, um, yeah, I still had mates that were, were like, this is fucking geeky. Mm. Um, I'd still get bashed for it, but it was from a place of love and it was still my identity. Right. Um, but the the career thing was, it, it kind of like infiltrated me and it, it, I, I, so I started watching it and I wanted to be in that world so desperately. Like I'd come home from school, girl I liked, you know, crushed my spirit or I, you know, got into a fight or the school's terrible, whatever the fuck happened. And then I'd come home and put the VHS on them for two hours. I'm gone. I'm on that. I'm on the Millennium Falcon. I'm escaping the empire, whatever. And it just became this like escapism. And I decided, I was like, I want to be in this world. What's the closest to being in it? Oh, well, making it. Um, and then I was like, well, I want to be a part of making something like this. I want people to feel the way I felt, feel now watching it. And um, that's what led to, um, <clears throat> that's what started me off with media production. And I wanted to work for ILM and I was super interested in, um, in, in special effects. And, yeah. and, and you've, it sounds like when you just mentioned like Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones, and you, I think you said not the best. Is that not, how do you feel about them really? Is that an understatement? Not the best. I, I mean, I, you do, don't you? I love them. Yeah. More than the fucking Shining. No. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, like, I do. I do. I, I love them for their flaws. The I like it for the, for the good parts. I love it for its flaws. It's, 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 I was having this conversation recently. I, if you take the story, if you just look at the outline, it's actually a good fucking story. Uh-huh. The execution's a little off, but the story's super interesting, you know. Um, and even the trade disputes are interesting and the blockades. Um, but but I like, listen, I, 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 never, I never really had a problem with the, uh, the trade disputes and the fact that it's like, it's all about like not paying, taxing a planet mm -hmm. or at the start. I, I, I didn't mind that. And look, I, I do not hate Phantom Menace and Revenge of the Sith, like uh, I was great. actually genuinely impressed with. I was mm. like, this is incredible. Apart from no, which I'll never oh. get over. Um, no, terrible. Yeah. But it's part of the charm. That's is what's it? happened for me. Yeah, it's become part of the charm. Like not, it's, it's. But it's not, it's sort of, do you not think you've sort of got someone, you've got this, you've got one of the greatest villains in cinema history in Darth Vader. Mm. And, and in one scene, you've, you've robbed him of that legacy. Like yeah. almost like oh you you've done a, a really good job of trying to and it didn't have to be like that it's like you know you watch rogue one you go fucking hell he's terrifying absolutely that's possibly one of the scariest darth vader scenes i've ever seen yeah, ever yeah i got why people were scared of vader i never got it in even when i watched the originals as a 12, 11 year old he wasn't scary to me mm. um that never hit um Rogue One, I was like, oh yeah, I wouldn't want to be trapped in that. You can't, yeah, that's a beast. It's that's weird, just, isn't it? That's being trapped with a bear that yeah. can force choke you. Um, yeah, I never, yeah, Rogue One didn't. No, um, was it robbed? Look, I I went through like 
a whole kind of journey with the prequels, which was I adored them as a kid. I mean, mm. I was watching them when I think they came out. I was 13, 16, 18, so something like that, right? So by the time I was an adult um, and I was fully at drama school, I got Revenge of the Sith. So I was a little older and I still had issues with stuff, but it was the right time to watch that one. I was a very emotionally sensitive uh, teenager who, I mean, could have in another world become a fucking incel the way I was so thin skinned and sad all the time. And why does no one fancy me? Um, at the time I saw attack of the clones. So that shit hit me like a fucking like ton of bricks. I was like, you know, I'm haunted by the kiss. You should never have given. I would have said shit like that at 14, 15. And Phantom Menace, I was 11. And I just remember me and my sister came out. I think I was 11 or 12. Oh no, maybe I was, no. Yeah, I'm fucking up my ages, but I was around that age, 12, 13 or whatever. And um, I just remember like me and my sister came out of the cinema. My parents picked us up and we were like, the fight at the end, Darth Maul, lights. Who knows mm. what the fuck happened for the first two hours. It just mm. ended on this note of just jewel of the fates in your ears. Yeah. I mean, I, came I, won't out argue, just dizzy. I won't argue with that. That's the great idea. Is that this? Yeah, that's probably the greatest lightsaber battle in the history of the franchise. I think I that mean, and the Empire Strikes Back for the emotional mm. when he yeah. first confronts Vader in the carbonite chamber and the lighting and the fucking mm. like that's still number one. But Duel of the Fates is just on another level. And I don't know if you saw that. Did you see that clip of Filoni talking about Duel of the Fates? No. What? He it came it came about from the Mandalorian roundtable when he went. Uh -huh. You know why it's called Duel of the Fates, right? Well, George set that up because at that moment there are three storylines. There are three alternate storylines. You've got, and it's about what happens in the future. It's fighting for Anakin's fate. Anakin's fate is decided, and the fate of the galaxy in that fight. If Qui Gon wins. Anakin ends up with a mentor that is uh, older, more experienced, controlled, wiser. He's going to get the type of attention and care uh, a child going through the trauma that that child had been through needs, probably wouldn't have been so emotionally unstable, probably would have handled things slightly better. We may not have had Darth Vader. If Darth Maul wins, both Jedis get wiped out, possibly Anakin dies. And if Obi-Wan comes out on top, you get a kid who doesn't really respect life forms. I mean, he calls, he says it, like he doesn't show respect for Jar Jar. When Qui-Gon goes back to Tatooine, Obi-Wan says, you know, why do I sense we've picked up another pathetic life form? That's Obi-Wan, who doesn't, who begrudgingly trains this kid he doesn't want to train. And that's where we end up with. And in that moment, that's the duel of the fates. And Filoni explains that at the round table. And I was just like, have we misunderstood George? Because he's a fucking genius. Like, I even got goosebumps telling you that again. But like, yeah, I mean, I am a pre... I went through many different... I went through this, love him as a kid, love him when I saw him, mm. almost aged out of them and thought, oh, and started to see him. And I was like, this is fucking embarrassing, man. And then came full circle and was like, no no it's okay like you can i, I still want to love I, I love him for i love him for 
they're great part. Like there, there's some amazing stuff in there that happens. Some of the best, um, excuse me. Ooh, uh, some of the best kind of like cinema moments, cinematic moments have happened in that movie. The, the helmet going on with the hiss and the happens. Yeah. Two minutes before the no. And that's equally as good as that is bad. Like it's the high highs and low lows of the prequels. Like there are so many low peaks and troughs with that, with that trilogy. Um, but one thing that's not spoken about enough, man, is particularly Attack of the Clones. It changed say, our this industry. Is, this, is, this, is that, this is the one that fascinates me a bit because I did leave it out of the list earlier, but I mentioned them because Attack of the Clones, is, I, I find that close to unwatchable. Like Phantom yeah. and Revenge, are, 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 you know, I don't, I don't disagree with you. I think there is a lot to love in them, but Attack of the Clones, I, I, I couldn't believe what I was watching. I was just like, what is this? What's happened? This is, it's just a sprawling mess of mm. ugliness. I, I mean, I think that's the thing. It's not like compared to the others, it's quite an ugly film. I thought it's definitely aged the worst. Um, I, I personally felt that the movies got better in order. That was oh, my really? feeling. Yeah, because I'm a big Obi Wan closest... fan. Right. So I got this whole B side of just McGregor, mm. you know, ex- going to Camino and the, you got the Django Fett fight with the asteroids. There was a lot more to, there was a lot more sprinkles of excitement in there. Yeah. Mm. And, but the Anakin Padme stuff really just fucking drags that movie <laughs> down. But I also find it funny. Um, but Attack of the Clones changed our industry forever. And it wasn't until I was on Bly and I was just sitting around YouTube and a documentary that I'd seen before, which was on the Attack of the Clones DVD, was on YouTube. And it was George talking about digital filmmaking. And he then details what this camera that he, I think he developed with Panasonic because the technology didn't exist. If you watch the Phantom Menace, uh, one scene is digital and it's when, uh, you know, it's uh, when he's patching up Jake Lloyd's got a cut and he steals a bit of his blood for the midichlorian test. All of that scene, that shot outside is the first digital scene, uh, sorry, on a digital camera. And that was the test. And then Attack of the Clones was the, we're going to do all of this digital. I'm confident. So Panasonic and George make this camera and they talk about, well, what's this going to do for our industry? And he talks about Video Village and you're going to be able to real time watch on giant monitors. We can have multiple monitors for different departments that they're able to get live playback. Okay. We'll be able to edit that night. Um, we can do more takes because it's not as we have more storage. We don't have to worry about film. And I started thinking about it and I was like, well, so in the old days prior to George, the only person you direct had to trust maybe one monitor and the cameraman that meant hair, makeup stunts. There are so many departments that are completely shut out of of the final picture. That's why you get so many goofs in, in older films and stuff because no one could watch unless you spotted it there and then. That's why that can happen. <clears throat> so Video Village, being able to have live playback on giant monitors, all of that stuff, the amount of time we have on set, the, the, how, how cheap it is to shoot digital as opposed to on film, um, how it's changed my... like While I was on set on Bly, I really had a moment where I looked around and I was like, wow, Attack of the Clones has influenced my working day. It's, it's unrecognizable. And it's, and a lot of this is linked to those, that thing that he's talking about in 2002 or whatever it was 
this is going to change how we make stuff. And I'm working on a set that's living proof of that. Um, doesn't, uh, that doesn't make uh, the sand scene as rough and coarse and irritating. And it, gets, it doesn't make it any more easier to watch, but fuck me. What he did for cinema is ridiculous. And the Mandalorian's done the same thing. John Favreau yeah. and, and, and this technology, yeah. the volume. Oh, that's what Star Wars is. I get it. It's a vehicle. To, it takes our industry, puts us, uh, it takes us to the next level, except the sequels, which didn't do any of that. Yeah, that, that's a weird one, isn't it? I kind of, I don't know how I feel. I, I spent a little bit of time thinking about um, sort of what really happened there. And I, I think, you know, it's just a really interesting decision to start a story arc with uh, JJ and then go, Ryan, uh, feel free to just do whatever you like with this. And then JJ, if you could come back and finish it off, taking into account the fact that Ryan has done a lot of what you set up in the first movie, Cool, that's a that's your trilogy right there. It's like what? How? It's a very it's you know when someone you know when you sit at school where you fold a picture page yeah. in three, someone yeah. draws the head consequences and you draw the, body. the game. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's it's wild. I I mean I don't know if you saw this. There was a uh, I'm sure this is a, a thing. Daisy Ridley speaks about Rise of Skywalker. I think she spoke to Josh Gad, and she and then the internet got very angry when she was like, oh, so when I was doing Rise of Skywalker, was that a good Daisy? That was an unintentional good... Anyway. That was um, actually quite good. I was impressed, yeah. <laughs> it was the O. I was like, oh. Um, when she was doing uh, Rise of Skywalker, the conversation about her lineage changed during production while filming. She said, one minute, I was Obi-Wan's granddaughter. Another minute, I'm Palpatine's granddaughter. And it went... And JJ would just be like... So what am I playing today? And at that point, you're a nobody. We'll stick to the last Jedi. This is happening mm. while it's being shot, dude. Mm. And that says everything you need to know about the sequels. So it makes George look like fucking Martin Scorsese, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was, yeah. yeah. I don't know. I mean, I didn't really like, I didn't, I didn't love the, the, the last Jedi. I mean, obviously it was better than the Rise of Skywalker, but it was just uh, I, I, from that from that opening scene where because I thought they I thought Donald Gleason as Hux was genuinely scary in the Force Awakens, and in that opening scene of the Last Jedi, they they took a very scary character and turned him into a, a comic. Uh, Is you that know, the, the, uh, the your mama joke? Yeah. Yeah. It's the bit where it's it's the bit that belonged in Guardians of the Galaxy, not a fucking uh, Star Wars movie. Where he's like, can he hear me? It. Why yeah. can't he hear me? Why is is this thing on? It's like, what is happening? How is this happening? Yeah, Poe should have done like this <laughs> in the cockpit. Uh, yeah, you're right. Guardians of the Galaxy, absolutely. They they got it. Uh, everything got crossed. Mandalorian, on the other hand, look, Mandalorian oh. has peaks and troughs for sure. Mm. And I, and I I fucking love that show, and I love everything about it i love the 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 thing is you can have bad star wars of course you can that happens if you're a star wars fan you have to get used to the mixed bag the revels that is star wars you may get the coffee one right because what you're telling me every eu book was a hit? Are you telling me that the Christmas specials and the Ewok movies and the video games we had? Mm. Yeah, we had Knights of the Old Republic, but we also had Super Bombad Racing. Like, <laughs> it's it's a mixed bag. 
you know so if you're a Star Wars fan you got to get used to uh, high highs and low lows mm. that's it it's, when you got a franchise that big it's gonna fucking happen um, it's really hard to swallow and the thing is as well I could, you can't be mad at the sequels if you're you know I, I don't like the sequels people don't like the prequels like I don't know anyone who like if you like all nine well holy shit like <laughs> I, I have so much respect for you I feel like you must love everything. Like nothing is bad. But anyway, yeah, even with the Mandalorian, like there are episodes that, but still it's made with love. And that's the Mm. difference. Like with Star Wars, when Star Wars is bad, as long as it was made with love, um, I'm okay with it. Like you tried and we could tell you still love what you do and you love these, this sandbox. You can feel that with the games. You can feel that with some of the books, even not the great ones. I think the problem with the sequels where it became very apparent to people, they were like, do you even love this? Do you even care? Yeah. That was the problem because even you couldn't look prequels, whether you like them or not, are still word of God. They're biblical. If George said it happened, it fucking happened. If midi-chlorians are real, then midi-chlorians are real. If Jake, if, if Anakin had a bowl haircut and said, you pee, <laughs> that's what he did. That's word of God. So whether you, you can dispute it all you want, he said it, it's done. The sequels yeah. weren't, and it was a very weird place to be because the sequels aren't the word of God. Mm. They're fan yeah. films. Uh, yeah. I mean, George Lucas does also say on the, the Phantom Menace making of documentary that comes on the, uh, the Blu-ray or the DVD, probably both. Oh, DVD. Uh, yeah. he, does, uh, he does say, uh, what's, uh, <laughs> what's so exciting about uh, Jar Jar Binks is that we've never had a character this funny in the Star Wars universe. Oh. <laughs> so, so those are his words. God, God he, said that. And, God also uh, <laughs> said when he watched it, said, I may have gone too far. <laughs> Do you remember that? It's the best part of that DVD. They watched the final cut. Rick McCullum and I think Ben Burtt's there and George Lucas and they and it rolls and it finishes and you have their reaction and he goes, I think I may have gone too far in some place. <laughs> yeah. Uh, hey man, I'm gonna uh, you probably have stuff to do and no. um and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, what, what, what have you got? Are you going to leave the house or have you got, how many boxes of cigarettes have you got left? Do you get to go out? Are you six, going out? I'm good for six days. <laughs> uh, no, I, I am going to go out. I am. I, I'm actually in the process of one of the uh, things that I still haven't got used to is traveling. Um, I haven't unpacked from Midnight Mass. Uh, okay. I haven't unpacked from iZombie. <laughs> That finished in 2018. Yeah, I wrapped filming 2018. Like I, because I keep getting pulled away. My shit just stacks up, and so I'm finally doing. I'm like a hoarder at this point. So um, I'm going to donate today. Today I've put aside old books I've read. I'm I'm having a complete clear out. Um, So I'm going to be around doing charitable stuff. I'm not. Nice. I'm just clearing out, really. Charities, <laughs> a bonus. I think that's nice. It's cl- I- the charity shop's closer to my house than the skip. <laughs> Which one are you going to? Is it, what's the, this one? I put a tweet out asking for locals because I don't really know them in my area. And um, 
there's a few savers. There's uh, out of the closet is another one. Yeah. That's, there's a there's a few options. Um, so there's, I'm gonna, is there wasteland? Wasteland's another one I think around there. Is it? On, I think wasteland, wasteland is wasteland. I think it's called wasteland. I just want. I, I'm looking. at What I wanted, right? Maybe you know, when you go Tesco, you just got mm. the, the bins, and you just anonymously just shovel your old clothes in the bins. Yeah, yeah they yeah, don't yeah. have that here. Maybe because people put fucking shit in them or something. I don't know. But like, I, I just want to do that. I don't want to actually go out and talk to people. It's fucking mad. <laughs> I, I won't lie. I'm, there was a, a part of the conversation there. I got a bit worried about you spending all your time on your own. Again, how it's huge, man. It's, it's, yeah. yeah. I am, for sure. But, you know, I'll always need cigarettes. Uh, exactly. So, and Mike, you know, he'll, have to, he'll dig me out from wherever I am and shave me, and get me to lose some weight and stuff. He'll, he'll always, he'll always get me out of there. And uh, yeah, you gotta keep whispering about Mike Flanagan doing a Bioshock game, like the Bioshock movie. That would be incredible series, Dude. whatever. And the um, Star Wars horror that I want, which is like the book, where a, an alien virus infects a star destroyer and the storm it's like you know what i mean so it's mm. aliens star wars with stormtroopers <laughs> not marines with mike flanagan and me I'll as take, the lead I, that sounds fucking look at this look, i'd take anything i saw the aliens related. i saw as soon as i saw yeah, vasquez yeah, yeah. there and stuff yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. that's the greatest sci-fi mover anyway ever made you can keep your star wars aliens oh <clears throat> been getting into gundam have you really? Yeah, like as a, as a history thing, seeing the mm. first mech, watching the old seventies car- cartoon, which has aged poorly, and and which makes it fucking amazing. They just <laughs> they just slap every. It's it, there is some toxic masculinity going on, and mm. it makes me laugh because it's aged so bad. And like if if a if a woman's hysterical in it, they just backhand. But then also they backhand the dudes if they're not like manly enough. There's just a lot of slaps and really weird toxic man. But in wrapped up in this amazing historic show, so it's been a yeah. I've been rewatching that for fun. You must you must have to be able to detect. I mean, like some of the some of the real diehard Star Wars fans online are kind of like it got a bit dark uh, at certain points. I remember let, letters. Troubling letters that were written to Disney and Kathleen Kennedy about exactly what she should do with her series. And uh, yeah, was, well, uh, I uh, being a gamer, I worked in a video game shop. So I, I worked game station. Wembley was one of my first jobs. Um, and so being around video games, which before Marvel and Twitter and people like they were the shittiest community in person. So I had to just see the, the toxicity of the gaming industry. And I still see it to this day. I, I don't think, I don't think Star Wars or Marvel or anything comes close to what the video game industry experiences uh, with that kind of crap. Mm. And it's a medium that I adore and I love people. I have so many loved ones in that industry. Um, who put up with that nonsense every day, man. So I've learned to still not let that destroy what I love. Mm. And the same goes for the star Wars community. Cause if I start going into that, like I, you, you've got, I've got to find a way to tune it out. I mean, these guys really think when they at star Wars, 
or or, uh, or Disney that they made Kathleen Kennedy's phone buzz. It's just some like twenty year old social media account like managed like who's just an intern who's like go die. Oh. <laughs> Like they really think that, like, I remember when I, when I, 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 I said, call turfs cunts or whatever. I was going to go at, you know, turfs and they were at in Netflix. Like they were adding my boss. So I was at in Netflix too. Cause they were like, is this the kind of person you employ? And I know, I know, I know some of the people who have these accounts and they're just these 20 year olds who are like, cool. Thanks. We'll pass oh. it on anyway. Oh yeah. man. And, um, well, listen, uh, I cannot wait to see Midnight Mass. Very excited about that. Hmm. Um, still not got a release date. Don't expect you to tell me. I'm sure it'll just come out in due course. I look forward to reading that. I'll tell you excited. what, I will 100% be down for a chat after you've watched it and we can talk spoilers. <gasps> I'd love to break it down with you if you're down. Would, yes, let's do that. That would be yeah. amazing. Yeah. I'd love that. I'd love sure. that. I'm very excited. Hey, uh, Dude, have a wonderful day. And you too. Uh, thank you for your time, man. Thank you, Alex, man. It's been a pleasure. And the shining fucking rules. <laughs> Doctor Sleep's better. <laughs> <laughs>